Hello everybody and welcome to another interseason episode of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers Ward, and joining me, also as always, is Matthew Stockton. I'll sequelize you if you'll sequelize me. That's kind that's kinda of how this show works, right? Nope. <laughs> Fair enough. We don't sequelize each other. Unless you ask nicely. And I don't until now. <laughs> Speaking of people who sequelize other people, it's Dematum. What is it you want, Matt? What what do you want? You want the minions? Just say the word, and I'll throw a lasso around them and pull them down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the minions, Matt. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Don't want that. Is the word. <laughs> Banana. <laughs> that works on too many levels with the fact that the in Despicable Me 1, he's trying to steal the moon. <laughs> I'm like, Tim, that's layered. Yeah. And it can fuck off back into the sea those minions crawled out of. <laughs> what, what, what would be worst? Jimmy Stewart as Gru or Steve Carell as uh, uh, George Bailey? Oh, my God. But doing the groove voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hello, well, hello, girls. Um, I'm, I'm going to adopt you now. Uh, here are my minions. Uh, I've fallen in love with a girl. <laughs> Freeze ray. You want the moon? <laughs> I'll lasso the moon for you. <laughs> Every so, time a scheme is complete, an angel gets his wings. <laughs> I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> you can't stop me. Hello, movie house. That's right, everybody. We're finally doing the Minions episode. The moment you've all been waiting for since our Despicable Me 3 episode. Don't tempt me, Frodo! <laughs> Played by Steve Carell's crew. Don't tempt me, Frodo! <laughs> Why was he Scottish? I'm very tired. Oh, Billy Lord. Boyd steps in. Indeed, indeed. We are, in fact, going to be talking about romantic movies this week. Ooh, la la. And a variety of different films. We'll talk about some rom-coms, some dramas, some straight-up classic romance, some things that subvert your expectations, some things that may play into your expectations. Who knows? When in season, we're full of surprises for the interseason, right? It's true. This weekend, if you're if you're listening as this episode goes up, love is in the air because it's uh, mm. Valentine's Day. Oh, ho, ho, ho. It's like we fucking oh, planned it. So yeah, we're going to be talking about kind of a lot of different topics around romantic movies different types of romantic movies different subgenres, all that kind of stuff and we'll get into some specific choices and picks in the second half as we want to do on these interseason episodes i think it's gonna be an interesting discussion for us mm. and uh my wife reacted with oh <laughs> so uh <laughs> that's a, that's her general reaction to the idea of romance <laughs> romance in the chambers ward house <laughs> oh pretty, pretty much pretty mm. much at this point but before we get to talking about romantic films, before we get to talking about romance in general in cinema, let's take a lovely little trip down memory lane back all, right. all the way to patreon.com slash sequelizers and give a little thanks to the people who love us and we love them back. Uh, it's the patrons. The wonderful, lovely patrons. Yeah. Matt seems indifferent. It, I, loving them back is just... Mm, yeah. I don't, I don't want to be paid to love someone. That's a hoe. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to podcasting, Matthew. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, choo-choo, I guess. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. You can get ad-free episodes. You could buy our love. You can, you can buy our love. Quite literally, you can buy our love and exclusive merch and discounted merch, which in a way is our love. Right, guys? <laughs> That's how I T demonstrate Tim, Tim my love. Tim and I are showing off the merch right now. We love all the t-shirts we send out. Wink. 
You can get early access the Friday before the episode comes up on the Tuesday on all the usual podcast platforms and things like that. You can also get an exclusive avatar drawn by the one and only Mr. John Scarrett if you want it on Discord and your social media and things like that. If you've ever been on a Discord, you might see a few signature John Scarrett drawings floating about. They are also emojis, so you get an emoji on our Discord of your own face in a style that you want in a movie of your preference and all that kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun. John Scarrett is fantastic. You probably recognize him from all of our usual artwork and stuff. You've seen our faces morphed into various characters, sometimes literally merged together or licking the same bowling ball for some reason in the most yeah. disturbing of all the art. Uh, uh, I've seen... Uh, I'm, I'm a subscriber to John's patron, Saucy mm. Saturday. So if you want some real filth for this, <laughs> for this Valentine's. As far as I know, that doesn't feature the three of us, but he's never said it doesn't feature the three of us. Oh, Look, I've been providing him with boudoir photography <laughs> for a while. <laughs> yeah. That explains a lot. Tim. He hasn't asked. He's, he's, <laughs> Tim's been doing yeah. it. <laughs> Anyone I know who draws or has an email address, I, I send them some. <laughs> Anyone who can receive, <laughs> I give. That's just, right, patrons. That's for, how we love you back. For your reference, and then it's just me, you know. Just Tim's new. On a chaise lounge. On a, on a bearskin rug. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello, Bert. If you'd like access to Tim's boudoir, like I said, you can support us on a variety of tiers. You can get bonus episodes and bonus sexy photos from Tim. Not actually included on the Patreon, I'm sorry. But you do get bonus full inter-season episodes. We're doing three of them this season. You also get exclusive movie commentaries throughout the main season. You get outtakes and extra games and shit that we always do during the main season as well which is coming up sooner than I thought it was. You know what I mean? Every time you think, yeah, we got plenty of time until the next season. Requalizes is right around the corner, folks. This is episode seven of the interseason. It's going to be here sooner than you think. I'm ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm more prepared than I usually am at this time. That's good. Which is nice. Yeah. But not ready. Oh. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a scale of readiness and I feel like I'm... How, how much money do you need, Jack? That's my Patreon segue for you. We need loads of money, Matthew, because <laughs> at the time of recording, we've actually got a new stretch goal we've launched. We do. And we're going to be doing essentially kind of what we did for the MCU, but twisting it and turning it towards the dark universe. <gasps> a little darker. Everyone's favourite connected cinematic universe that never happened. <laughs> so we're going to try and fix something that never happened, essentially. Almost in like a sequels we'd like to see, but like a cinematic universe we'd like to see. And come up with a bunch of different ways. And Tim has already kind of done it with his little mummy pitch there. Starting off an early dark universe thing, which was sneaky mm. and interesting. Mm. I, yeah. I, I I laid some seeds, but we're going we're gonna to grow a whole damn garden. Oh, Tim, that's beautiful. Of universal monsters. I really like that. I don't know about the whole like spraying all my seed over a garden, but... <laughs> I like it, Tim. I was really pretty. I, d I don't know why you took it in that direction, Matt. Tim, so inappropriate. It's me. And if you go, like I said, to the higher of the tiers, the £30 tier, in fact, you could become an executive producer and get a shout on the show, just like these fine folks have done. And, by the way, listeners, you know, we mentioned we've been upgrading our equipment and all that kind of stuff recently, thanks to your support on Patreon. We now have a Rodecaster Pro 2, which is a little portable studio equipment kind of thing that makes us sound crisp, means we did the, the sound test. If you're on Patreon, you heard us sound like minions, that it was silly bollocks and stuff. But it does some really cool processing. It also allows us to play clips in real time. So you can do, like, applause and crickets and the, like, ba tish drum thing and all that kind of stuff for jokes. 
But I've actually loaded in the EP clips this week. And we're planning to do this from now on. This is a big test, so bear with us. The levels might be all over the place. I'll try and sort it out in the edit, but I apologise in advance if this is a bit mental. And my two fellow sequelizers don't know the clips from romantic films, or romantic scenes at least in film, that I have loaded in for the three EPs and the upcoming six VIPs. So, after each EP, I will play a clip, and you two, dear Tim, dear Matthew, have a little guess about which film it's from. Some of them are very easy, some of them are a bit more obscure, some of them I put in there for the lols. I am literally prepared for every single one for me to say, how is this a fucking romance? The fox <laughs> and the hound? What's wrong with you? Fox and the hound is a romance. Of course it is. I mean, it might be. Anyway, we'll start off with the first EP of this week. It's Canis Rufus. Winning that ticket, Lois, was the best thing that ever happened to me. It brought me to you. It's just a man jerking off, isn't it? I, I know, I know this one. It's uh, Avatar The Way of Water. <laughs> I, yep. I was going to make the same joke. Yep. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, that famous ticket to get mm-hmm. to Pandora, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's a very sloshy clip, isn't it? It's 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 the it's the freezing water going <laughs> out of context. Like, what, what are you doing, DiCaprio? Yeah. <laughs> um, Acting, buzz, buzz, buzz. Sure, Titanic. Oh, okay. Now, Fair if we don't get them later, edit me getting the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, our second EP is David Selinger. Most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life. The way I feel when I'm with you. What do we think that is, boys? Oh, I recognise that, That's, but I can't. Yeah. You should do. It's really familiar. Yeah. Shit. Don't know. It's a film we've talked about on the show before. We have done the bad sequel to this movie. Oh, I can almost picture it. I just, for some reason, can't name it. That's a problem. Tim? Is it Dirty Dancing? It is Dirty there Dancing. Well done, Tim. Well yeah. done. Yes. My favourite quote from Dirty Dancing. Really? Not Baby in the Corner. Not, not no, that's course. a cliche. Uh, next up, our third and final EP for this week. It is Marcus Lindstrom. You give me premature ventricular contractions. I'm assuming that's a good thing. You make my heart skip a beat. I know this one. Oh, it seems like a Tim ass movie. It's uh, it's mm. from it's from the one of the, another. Just like we were talking about prior to recording, another Deep Impact Armageddon type it is, situation. So, yes. <laughs> uh, that is, which one is it, Tim? It, that is No Strings Attached, starring Ashton Kutcher and uh, Natalie Portman. Well mm-hmm. done, Timothy Maytum. And what is what is it paired with? Is, uh, what is Friends the, with Benefits. Correct. <laughs> what is the Armageddon to its Deep Impact? Mm, yeah, Friends with Benefits and No Strings. I don't know if you've ever seen. I can't remember if it was a TV guide or it was Netflix or something like that. They they purposefully swapped the descriptions of the two <laughs> movies, and they're basically the, the same, same thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're like, but it, they swapped the character names, and like oh, nobody no picked up noticed. on it. And then no, somebody no. tweeted like, yeah. "Oh, did you do this?" And Netflix was like, eh. <laughs> "It's been like that for eight months." Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you better log in every thirty-one days. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> Thank you, EPs. Hopefully, you enjoyed your weird little clips and stuff. The well, like I said. Work in progress, but hope you're ready for six more for the VIPs for this week. Starting with the one and only Hyper Dude Man. I'm also just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. 
That's pretty iconic, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's it's that pretty woman. No, it's not. I know it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you, Matthew. It's my best friend's wedding. I know. Good lord. Next up, we have Mr. Stuart Maine. And third, I was unconditionally and irrevocably in love with him. Love little guitar harmonics at the end there. That's frustratingly familiar. Would you like it again? No. No. Oh, shame. You're going to get it anyway. Is it? <laughs> and third, I was unconditionally and irrevocably in love with him. Is it a film I've never seen, The Notebook? Uh, no, no, it's not. No. no. I can't place it. It might be a film you've never seen. <laughs> I'm not sure if you have seen this film. I know I have, and I know Matt has. Matt's seen all with... the films. Yeah, so that's, that's the, the problem. Narrow it down, the problem yeah, is yeah, because I'm, it, yeah, it's the it's the oversaturation where like I'm thinking like ten things, but no, go ahead. What's what's the thing? That's motherfucking Twilight. That is Bella <laughs> Bella looking out of her window. <laughs> Edward <laughs> stood at the car, and she is unconditionally and irrevocably in love with him. I have seen that film, but I was oh. quite stoned at the time. <laughs> that's the correct way. <laughs> you added your own green haze. In I a way did. To... <laughs> I've seen it a few times. Bill's been paying attention. Next up, we have the one and only Josh Miles. So it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard. And we're going to have to work at this every day, but I want to do that because I want you. I want all of you forever, you and me, every day. <laughs> Any ideas, gents? That's the notebook. That's the, That's the notebook. Yeah. There we go. I know <laughs> those gosling tones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cutting him screaming from uh, Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> <laughs> the next VIP we have is Mr. Jonathan Firth Clark. But I guess. If I love you. I should let you move on. Drawing a blank. This, is, this has been. Hard. Tron Legacy. Oh, for a second though, I thought you got it, Tim. You were very weirdly phonetically close, but Tron. nowhere near. <laughs> a famous quote from Tron. Still on the wrists, baby. <laughs> Any ideas? Uh, this is the one I put in there. I was like, it's not a fucking chance either of you get this. Nope. It's High School Musical. <laughs> huh. That is the Zac first one. Yes. Mm. That is Zach Efron. Saying something about That's love. Zach Efron leaving a lot of pauses. Mm. <laughs> yes, very much. That's so. acting. Acting. The penultimate VIP mm -hmm. is Mr. James McDowell. I'll see you soon then. Say it back. When I say it, you say it. Remember? Christ, you love southern accents and fucking plinky guitar, man. <laughs> I didn't realise when, when I was editing these and putting them in, because, by the way, folks, I have to preload these in. Mm -hmm. So I have to make the decision of which nine clips I'm going <laughs> to put in first, then put it from my laptop onto the, onto the studio, and then play it for you guys with these little buttons and stuff. So, yeah, I was like, I don't think anyone's going to get this one either. I, I purposely did some really hard ones just to stump you both. 
Now um, this is just, fun. <laughs> this is just making me realise how similar the scores to a lot of romantic films yeah, are. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Yeah. Or more accurately, what Jack thinks romance films are. Yes. <laughs> High school musical. Hey, <laughs> this is what YouTube thinks romance films uh, are, to be fair. Okay. But like quotes from romantic films and then I'm selected different clips from different the fault in our stars. Not a million miles mm, away. I, I, like I, I was like, I thought I think I tried to find a clip from that, or there was one, but the music was too loud or yeah. something like that. I, it, this it sounds familiar, but it's so mm. they're all so fucking samey at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Any ideas, Tim? Uh, uh 120 days of Sodom. <laughs> Uh, it was the Italian that gave it away. <laughs> Man, yeah. That's a quote from that film. <laughs> um, the EP's EP VIP is like, hang on, our name's in here somewhere. And it's like they were. It's not about you anymore. It was never about you. <laughs> um, this is, in fact, based on another Nicholas Sparks novel. Because oh, is isn't every fucking... So many mess in a bowl. <laughs> no. Um, We're not going through all the Nicholas Parks. All right, let's not do that. Uh, that is Amanda Seyfried talking to Channing Tatum in Dear John. Uh, I actually don't dislike that film. It's about coins at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, Matthew. Yeah, You're not yeah. wrong. Coin collection. I thought it was sell. decidedly middle, middle of the road. Yeah. Uh, clearly, I didn't imprint enough of that fucking film <laughs> to my memory to remember the fucking dialogue. And last but not least, the sixth. VIP for this week, the one and only Philip Morgan. Look at me. I heard the first line and I was like, Captain Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. I am the captain, captain now. God, that's romantic. Say it, <laughs> say it back. That's the rule. You have to say it back. I am the captain now. <laughs> any ideas? Well, I thought that was the hardest one, personally. Any ideas for you guys? Is it the Robert Pattinson? I don't know if this is a Nicholas Sparks one, <gasps> but is it the... Very similar to a Nicholas Sparks type thing, except the twist at the end is it's on 9 11. <laughs> Are you talking about the film Remember Me? That is correct, yes. That was the 10th clip I cut. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. I thought, wow. there's not a fucking chance anyone will guess Remember Me, that Robert Pattinson rom com everybody forgot about. Is it Water for Elephants? No, it's oh, not. That's a shame. No. It should be an elephant in the background. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a big clue. Yeah. It is, in fact, from Atonement. Oh, oh yes, of course. It is. Yes, yeah, yeah. There you go. She's talking to James McAvoy. Isn't she always? Aren't we all in yeah. a way? Because her sister lied about Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> <laughs> being a nonce. So yeah, those were the EP clips and the <laughs> VIP clips done live in the studio, and it was fucking chaotic. <laughs> It was. It was a nice change of pace. Let us know what you think, listeners. Should we do this every week? Or is this a fucking terrible idea <laughs> and I've wasted my time? I will tell you now, we're 20 minutes into a recording. <laughs> <laughs> we're halfway through the first half, which means <laughs> mission accomplished. Nailed it, boys. So should we actually talk about some romantic movies? Let's do it. Let's do that. Um, so romantic films are a bit of a weird one because I feel they work in the same way that comedy does in the way that it's very subjective and it's mostly used as a bolster plot point. Mm. A straight comedy from start to end 
is like, yeah, but it's stronger if it's got some heavy dramatic roles. It's stronger if it's got some um, romantic comedy elements to it rather than mm. just being straight comedy. It's also got romance in there. Mm. And some of the romance is like, if it's just romantic and it's not, say, for example, a dramatic turn or a science fiction twist or a comedy angle on it, people go, Christ, it's going to be fucking dull. And there's that cliche of like, and I'm, and I'm not stereotyping it myself. I'm saying that's how it's been viewed by cinema. Since cinema fucking started, it's like, oh, that's a pick for, pick for, for girls. Mm, just, the check flick. Yeah. And yeah. it's bullshit, but it's how it's labeled because um, men don't seem to understand when romance is being marketed to them. Uh, there are some examples actually later, mm. prime examples. Very of like, much so. This is a great fucking rom-com for dudes. Mm. And I don't mean in the sense like you can't enjoy a rom-com if it's mm. designed, marketed for, whatever you know what I'm saying, because uh, films are films. Um, but yeah, the, the idea of romance on film in its purest form is a very tricky thing to execute mm. because much like comedy... What we find romantic differs from person to person. Some people think, oh, that's fucking cheesy. That's embarrassing. That's cringe. I don't mm. agree with that. That's fucking stalkery and rapey. I don't like that at all. That's <laughs> aged badly. Mm. That's forcing her against the wall like Harrison Ford's like, that's romantic. Not for me. It isn't. Mm. There's all kinds of a, a spectrum and a bit of scope on it. And on top of that, you also have, as I say, it's it's usually a support, you know, like it's an action romance. Mm. It's a comedy romance film. You're like, okay, that's fine, because it's 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 a uh, a strong component uh, or ingredient in the cooking process, as it were. But mm. when it's pure sugar, it's like, this is maybe too saccharine. Mm. It's maybe too fucking sweet, too emotional. Mm. So you end up with um, a host of films that people will immediately just dismiss. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also in the same way that we tend to flavour romance by pulling in a lot of other genres, you know, whether that be action or comedy or mm. uh you know like period historical drama kind of stuff um romance is peppered into other things in a way that's seen as that can sometimes be really well integrated um and you can have films that are you would not really class as romance films but have really strong romantic subplots and all the way up to your kind of stereotypical action movie where the woman is basically just a prize that gets handed to the man at the end um but it's still you could still consider that a romance subplot it's just an incredibly bad and tropey sexist one top gun oh <laughs> which has different kinds of romance in there as well if you think about it you don't need to think that hard not really you just need to play with the boys as it were volleyball anybody exactly yeah i find that really interesting that Instantly, we go to the fact that it tends to almost either be tacked on in ways where, like, oh god, they're doing. You don't need a fucking romance subplot in this movie, or where you, you as you said, Matt, you get rom com or rom drama or romantic thriller, romantic sci fi, all this kind of stuff. You so rarely these days just get plain old romance, and even mm. then, most people call it like romantic drama or whatever. Mm. Like. We mentioned Nicholas Sparks a few times in the intros there with the clips and stuff. And it was that kind of peak romantic drama era, like the 2000s, 2010s, where it's like you could not walk five minutes without seeing a billboard or a bus stop covered in fucking Nicholas Sparks. It's the, mm -hmm. the couple staring at each other with the sun behind them and they're in a field for some reason. <laughs> oh, it's Fault in Our Stars. Oh, it's The Notebook. Oh, it's this, it's that. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, great, whatever. And then you walk past a bookshop and it's just wall to wall all these fucking books and 
so often you will see it just combined with another genre because oftentimes I, th- I think you're totally right matt like there's so many ways where it doesn't hold up in many ways it, it can age really really badly as standards change as you know representation shifts in a positive way and things like that over the decades you get these moments where blade Runner is a weird example but a but a fairly good example of like central it's a noir thing femme fatale but also romance is in it exactly yeah yeah you get this kind of like oh yeah it needs a femme fatale and they need to have a romantic scene romantic nope. entanglement nope definitely not a romantic scene and i think the fact that we're kind of coming at it from an angle of like we said romantic movies but that doesn't necessarily pigeonhole us there is going to be especially in the second half we're going to really kind of subvert a lot of expectations and go in a lot of different ways and talk about a variety of genres within this kind of overlapping weird venn diagram that is romance in cinema and i find that so interesting that all we've got three picks each by the way so all nine films in the second half are very different in different ways and we've all come at it from different approaches and as you said matt it's so fucking subjective all three of us have had completely different life experiences and all that kind of stuff we all come at romance from a completely different angle so when i think of like oh yeah romance and cinema this is the obvious example that everybody goes the fuck are you talking about that's not (laughs) that's not an obvious example or the other way around i can give you two films right now that could be considered romantic films avatar and avatar way of water (laughs) if there's one thing i know jake sully's the hero um (laughs) it's it's the fact that there are two films and you're like no it's like yes the first is cold mountain and you're like yeah sure it's like mm, it's everybody. mostly a civil war film in america but also he's trying to get home to his girl it's like oh so it's a romance and she's trying to survive from that farm all on her own but she's not alone she's got reese witherspoon with her not reese witherspoon a rene zawaga with her it's like okay yeah and but they're love and like, yeah, yeah fine romance sure but there's still action and war and all that sort of stuff mm. also grown-ups <laughs> fucking hell it's about relationships i hate mm. i hate you that, that's a romance film it's romantic i hate you deer pisses on him scrums <laughs> <laughs> too what's more romantic but that's what i say so it's like again like comedy like oh i i'd love a comedy mm. well i'm gonna put on anomalisa it's like that's a comedy i mean kind of i, I was laughing yeah. <laughs> and crying um yeah i mean i think romance is I think one of the fundamental things about it is it's incredibly hard to do well yeah. because it's, like we said, very subjective. Not Even when you remove stuff like things aging badly and, and different trends in cinema that then, you know, go out of fashion and stuff like that, like what people find romantic and what people will tolerate is incredibly different. It's an incredibly intimate story to tell because you're dealing with these incredibly kind of private emotions you know that that kind of cut to the core that are between two people um and usually kind of it's it's your most intimate relationship um yeah and it's also something that most people will experience in life and so we all have different experiences coloring it and different expectations and different, you know, uh, sort of ideas about what is romantic, what a relationship should look like. Um, and so all of those things, it's in the same way that if you know, 
if someone made a film about your job that you do, that you've <laughs> been doing for a long while, you would keep going like, that's not how you do that part. Because they, you know, because of the nature of fiction and of the process of filmmaking, you have to simplify things and, and, and et cetera, et cetera, and make things more dramatic for, for film purposes and stuff like that. And you'd go like, well, why is he doing that? That's not the way that happens. You, you do that differently. We all do that with romance films, except it's about relationships and you watch it and you go, yeah, yeah. why are these people being so awful to each other? Or yeah. like, why can't they just sit down and talk this out? Or <laughs> why isn't he just grabbing her and kissing her? He's being so nervous and an idiot or yeah. any of these things, because we're all thinking about, oh, in this situation, I would do that. Or when I, you know, either in a hypothetical or you're connecting it to previous relationships or whatever, you are everyone's kind of doing that themselves and and running through how they deal with these emotions and so it's so subjective that and it when it rings false it rings incredibly false to you so to do a romance that actually connects with a lot of people is very very hard i agree with that completely i really do i think i have, I have a theory um most people in like average cinema goers, film watchers, whatever you want to call it. Like, oh, let's go. And the fuckers I hate who turn up at the cinema and just go, <laughs> let's watch a movie. Like, oh, fuck you. But the point is, um, there is a uh, an escapism to it that some people enjoy. So, for example, the films that will get like the big blockbuster uh, revenue is stuff that's fantastical. It's 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 uh, lavish. It's over the top. It's uh, costumes and drama and and intrigue mm. and romance and then uh, yeah, no, I say romance and war. But it's big stuff. Mm. The more you boil it down to something that is uh, entirely familiar, you get that point where you're making Tim about the whole like no 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 because I've been there. This feels frustrating because it's wrong. Mm. It's like being a tech expert and saying and saying like uh, like Jack with his astrophysics side of things and then seeing a someone like oh i'm an astrophysicist and like mm. oh this will be good we, um, we are all neil degrasse tyson for love <laughs> yeah tim. but not in the bad way no, uh, no tim um uh, but when you see something being done in a film whether it's like a chase sequence you know it's fantastic you know it's nonsense you know like uh, you know there's not enough fucking bullets in that gun to make this work you know when you jump off that thing you'd break a hip all that sort of stuff and the same thing with romance. When you start getting down to a more realistic romance, the sincerity makes us uncomfortable because it's like, this is too close to home now. This is too, even like, oh, it's a really grounded, gritty piece. Like, yeah, but it still feels separated. Whereas with romance, as you say, we all have our own loves lost, loves won, all this sort of stuff that uh, completely influences how we see these things. Um, much of say like, you know, and you can say like, well, I found that funny. It's like, sure, I found that romantic, it's 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 a very different divide at that point mm. and and just like when we watch an action film or whatever we have a certain level of suspension of disbelief and then things yeah. can pull us out of that it's exactly the same with romantic films where if it's a good film and the performances are good and the direction's good and the script is good you buy into the stuff and the more not fantastical but the more outlandish the less realistic aspects of it that they might have to do to generate the drama and to you know have sure spectacle in it or whatever you kind of go oh well, that's a bit silly but i'll go along with it but when it's not good those are the things that pull you out and you go 
why is he even with her? Why is she even interested in him? Why are they together? Like, you know, and... You end up screaming, you're manufacturing problems here. Yes. I yeah. don't believe or you, it. Or you go, oh, it's so cheesy. It's so yeah. unrealistic. And that's because you're not engaging. You're not You're not meeting the film where it lives because it's not doing its job and meeting you where you live. And there's a weird, like, reciprocal relationship between... Relationship, no pun intended. Mm. Between love and romance in cinema and building our own expectations in real life mm. you grow up with obviously with the, the people around you and seeing your family members and all that kind of stuff and seeing other relationships happen around you but getting a glimpse into like you don't often experience like someone's first date as if you're with them you don't like mm. you hear the stories of like oh this is how my parents met or whatever but you see that and you experience that. That was the intimacy you were talking about earlier, Tim. Like you're inside that moment where it is usually a very closed off, very private thing. Even if it's happening in public and it's two people at a restaurant having a meal together or whatever it is, you're not part of that dynamic yeah. and you're not privy to their conversation. In films, we are. Mm. And it's set, it can often like what you experience as a child in fiction and stuff like that then sets your expectations of like, oh, I want to meet my Prince Charming or, oh, I want to, you know, meet my Manic Dream Pixie Girl or whatever it is mm. because that is the fiction you've consumed, whether that's films, books, whatever, even songs in many ways, set your expectations in the real world. And as you were saying <laughs> earlier, Tim, like trends and stuff, then build upon that of like, oh, yeah, I stood outside my girlfriend's and held a boombox above my head <laughs> and did the whole like playing. And it, a, and it didn't work. And it didn't work in 2023. It's like... Yeah, people were doing that 40 fucking years ago in the 80s. Like, that's yeah. not... And it was a... weird then. <laughs> exactly. But, like, I know people who have done things, like, replicated scenes in films for their partner, and their partner was like, that is the sweetest thing anyone's ever... You know, I really like that film, and I love that you did that. Like, mm. that's so cool. And you also get people, as we said, being so subjective and misinterpreting things, and what comes off as very romantic in one film can end a relationship in real life <laughs> or vice versa or like if, if my wife did that i'd be fucking furious mm. and the other one's like oh no that was that's like that's the thing that formed and bonded us in the first place like that sounds like hell to me yeah the lesson i learned as a younger man was uh romantic gestures in films are one key change away from being a horror <laughs> um because the lesson that literally films from the 40s onwards were actively telling me to be true uh, was just pursue her <laughs> and don't stop. She'll appreciate it. Like Michael Myers. I mean, I'm done on like Michael Myers. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, it's, it's the idea of like, yeah, it's like, you know, because, you know, she'll push you away. And I mean, I don't mean physically, I'm not going that road. I'm mm. saying literally, like, no, I'm not interested in you. And like, ah, she's a tough one to crack. Mm. Uh, but I'll win her over by setting fire to her fucking lawn. It's like, <laughs> what are you fucking talking about? But the film was like, yes, because he is conventionally attractive and she is conventionally into him because. Mm. The film is lazy. Um, <laughs> but if you just literally change the key change of the score, oh no, he's going to kill her. Mm. Um, and it's that unwritten, unspoken sort of rule that makes it very uncomfortable to watch because you're like, wait, so what is it? And, and the way the films sort of get around this sometimes, a bit of semi-self-aware meta sort of stuff, mm. is they'll have a couple of friends saying, oh my God, that's so romantic. <laughs> and people say, no, get out of there. He's going to kill you. It's, it's that really weird mindset of like well if we address this that some people aren't cool with it and some are then it's yeah. fine it's like yeah am i watching you know like say anything uh with junkies like am i watching american psycho yeah <laughs> oh, i still have phil collins that's fun <laughs> oh, oh no 
Yeah, it's um, it puts me in mind of this is not a film, but the the annual debate uh that happens at Christmas when shops start playing and or radio or whatever starts playing uh Baby It's Cold Outside. Um, oh yeah, and uh, there's all this debate of you know oh we shouldn't play it because it it, it feels kind of date rapey and and all that kind of thing, but you have to have the understanding of the context of when that song originally came out was that women weren't allowed to really kind of pursue romance and had to sort of Wait. feign feign this resistance to it because yeah. you're protecting your virtue and all that kind of stuff, which is it's an incredibly archaic concept, but was still around in the 40s and 50s and, and 80s. in certain places still persists <laughs> to this day. Yeah. But, it, but that idea of like the the song works as a romance when in that context because it's you can tell that they're flirting but she they they have this kind of cultural expectation of he's got to kind of be quite pushy and she's got to be like no i'm really putting up a fight except i'm not really i'm wanting you to say these things but yeah. but then you remove it from that context and suddenly you and you, and you just read the lyrics and you go hmm this is quite creepy actually and so yeah when we talked about like changing expectations and changing social mores and stuff like that it means when you go back to older romances, you can go like, this is very weird dynamics on on show here. And they don't even have to be that particularly old. It, you know, um, and some of it is, you know, oh, there was behavior, especially expectations on women and how men were allowed to act and stuff like that, that are oh, you go kind of like, oh, no, that is wrong. And, you know, it was wrong then. It's just yeah, it was yeah. allowed or accepted or expected or whatever but other bits are just no culture has changed and the way people are allowed to act allowed to express themselves has changed you know a lot of it's tied into similar stuff but it's not always bad it's just context yeah absolutely and i think that's something we kind of take for granted in many ways and thankfully we're getting much better at it now is understanding where we are now how much you know relative representation there is for people in like the queer community and stuff like that in cinema granted still a long long way to go mm. but the fact that we've come so far in time is one thing but also you touched on it there tim cultural differences across the world mm. romance and romantic gestures change so much just from language to language let alone from culture to culture you could have three different spanish-speaking countries that all express love and romance in completely different ways they're all speaking the same language, kind of, different dialects, different, you know, nuances to it. But, like, the, the American thing, like, we use, like, John Hughes and John, the John Cusack say anything, like, classic, hold up the boombox type yeah. thing in the mm. 80s and all that kind of stuff. Then if you think of, like, oh, a British, like, romance, it'd be a different thing. And it's a slightly different, and then an Australian mm. romance. They're yes. all English speaking. They're all essentially mm. speaking the same language. Give Cultural to... sensibilities. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that changes so much even, and I know we'll, we'll kind of dive into this in the second half with a few of our picks as well, diving into certain parts of Europe and we always think of like, oh, French, it's so romantic and mm. it's the language of love and all mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. Like, there's a variety of different types of French people. They're not all just these like Parisian romantiques. Like, that's, <laughs> not, how, that's not how this works. But... Again, we come in with expectations from our upbringings and our, our expectations set by movies and media and all that kind of stuff. And then, oh, I'll go and watch a film from Korea or Japan. And yeah. it's a romance in a completely different way. I'm like, More amnesia. <laughs> yeah. 
and and it's this fascinating way of it's almost like a glimpse into that culture and again because of that intimacy because of it's such a window into a relationship that you do not get in typical everyday life i find it really interesting as a way to understand that culture in a different way you don't get a glimpse into a particular you know side of your your german friends say you've got a, a german couple you're friends with and you know they've been married for 10 years or whatever blah 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 you didn't see their first date you didn't see oh the the initial moment where they first fell in love or their first holiday together or whatever it was but experiencing different cultures through films and through media and all this kind of stuff allows us you know us as three three white british dudes here <laughs> to experience and understand hopefully understand and relate to other people's experiences in ways that we don't get an opportunity to do in everyday life mm. and there's also that kind of as much as there's cultural specificity and things differ from culture to culture and and uh all kinds of things there's also a universal oh. universality i think that's the right word you know what i mean close enough exactly um and everybodyness uh, to uh, <laughs> to romance. And, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it can be a way of, you know, cinema is a great machine for building empathy. And by branching out away from your, oh, you know, when I think of romance, I think of American rom-coms and maybe I'll branch into something that's more rommy than it is commie. And maybe sometimes <laughs> I'll go more commie than rommy. Um I tend and, to go more commie than Romeo. I yeah, don't know yeah. about you, comrades. Uh, <laughs> virus is out. <laughs> but like actually taking the time to be like, actually, no, I'm going to watch this, you know, uh, oh, I'm going to watch a, uh, a queer rom-com or I'm going to watch a Korean romantic film or an, uh, you know, a Kenyan romantic film or a Argentinian romantic film. And not only are you getting glimpses into that culture and understanding it better, hopefully, especially if it's if it's something that's produced authentically and, you know, f with directors and writers and all that kind of thing from those cultures or from, you know, uh, those sort of uh, sexualities or gender identities or whatever. But you're also getting that idea of like, yes, but also there's this common thread that runs throughout humankind, you know, that... The, especially when it comes to yeah. kind of romantic relationships, we all want to feel loved. We all want to feel appreciated and, you know, attractive to other people and all those kind of things. And so even when it's something that's a million miles from your own personal experience of culture, you can see commonalities in terms of just how people relate to each other. Yeah, I think that I think that's very astute. I think t two examples I would give to, to highlight again. Don't worry, it's not fucking grown ups again. Um, Grown-ups too. Yeah, thank you. And Son of the Mask. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, it is... Um, you don't... Uh, it, it, obviously, Jack brought up the language barrier, for example. And it's not just the language of literally the spoken language, it's the physical language. So, for mm, example, yeah, absolutely. you could watch um, a very raunchy, very uh, uh, dark and sinister Korean romance film. And you'd say... These people are so desperately in love. This is insane. And it's driving me fucking nuts because I just want them to be together. I don't know why I don't get anything out of that, but I do. And that's that empathy charge, as you mentioned. I feel that. And yet you can also watch 
an Indian film, which has very strict rules about what you can and can't show and what you can and can't explore. Yeah. Mm. And go, what's happening now? Well, now they're having a little song and they're dancing around each other. <laughs> a little song, you mean a 12-minute montage? <laughs> Compared Dance to four-hour runtime, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, but that's the point. It's like, well, what's happening here is obviously we're expressing it in a different way. But I can still feel that that passion coming across and more importantly, that frustration. Mm. And it's that um, emotional charge. And I find it interesting that you can have that, uh, the, the universality you mentioned and the idea that it is literally no matter what part of the world you're you're in there'll be variations of it there'll be different interpretations of it there could be confusion about that because of course you end up with americans on tiktok saying i came to britain thinking i'd find a guy because i watched all these richard curtis films <laughs> and uh all i get is fucking green street yeah <laughs> i made a mistake yeah um all the pubs are full of with people who are like this and you're like yeah well i don't know what the fuck you were thinking was gonna happen yeah um and then you also get um the idea of uh you know the homogenization of jack mentioned about France, for example, it's like, oh yeah, Italy, full of lovers, and mm. I don't want to French accent that, but you know, it's like, <laughs> French full lovers of God, full of French men. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, um, but that's the point. It's, it's the idea that um, you end up with this homogenized view of things. Like, yeah, but that's where's that come from? And again, it's come from the art we absorb, mm. um, and it's interesting because that's a good way for us to learn. But the problem is, if you only absorb that one percent or that specific type. It's like, are you going to watch all kinds of romance films? And interesting, you guys brought up about LGBTQ representation stuff because um, there are so many examples of, I remember very clearly any film with that kind of lean mm. was in the special area yeah. of DVDs. It was a specialized yes. thing. It was not to be mingled with the rest of the fiction in case you accidentally picked up a film which was really well done and engaging and romantic but had gays in it. So you're like, oh, okay, well, that's weird. So it'd be like, no, that's not for you. It becomes this ostracized section. Mm. And we're now at the stage, as I said, Jack said, slowly, slowly getting there, um, of like, no, let's make this mainstream. Let's mm. go full whack with this. Mm. Um, admittedly, like everything when it goes mainstream it's like should we get all the straights to play them it's like <laughs> um can do that's brave of them is it um so but it's also yeah it, 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 again baby steps but mm. also we're seeing much more uh money be and eyes being put on this stuff and so you're saying this is really fucking good you should be watching this it's great mm. um but it is again it's 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 our understanding of 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 uh, or, or an introduction to different cultures, different aspects, different ways of doing things. And we learn by that. So it's a very important cultural tool for that reason. But it's always worth remembering it's fiction. Mm. It's I mentioned that grounded uh, sincerity and relatability. It still has the narrative flow. So just because you've seen in the 80s, John Cusack standing outside stalking the shit <laughs> and being just incredibly <laughs> persistent doesn't mean that's a model to emulate. I want to jump back a little bit, actually, sure, sure. Uh, to something you were saying earlier, and um, I think one of you know one of the great things about cinema and the way we can t the different ways we can tell stories is that you can have a romance where uh, you know it's it's very kind of chaste uh, and you know uh, sort of one of these sort of uh, uh, merchant ivory kind of almost productions where yeah. you know they uh, uh, you 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 see. Um, Oh, they 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 finally kind of like touch hands ever so gently and exchange this meaningful look, and then in a different film you can have 
the you know just a raunchy sex scene and in a different Fucked film up against the wall Tim. yeah and in a different film you instead have a 12 minute dance number <laughs> where it's also expressing the same thing <laughs> and mm. you know we we can kind of there's all these different cinematic ways of saying like oh this is a growing intimacy between these two people and you can express that because film is so good at putting you in other people's shoes and there's so many tools you can use to to mm. to create that feeling of like you know subjectivity or not just in the sense that we all have different feelings about romance but it 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 makes you feel like you are experiencing that moment um and there's all these different ways of doing it and and that's fascinating you know that's one of the kind of the most interesting things about romance films is how do they portray the experience of falling in love because it's you know it's this incredible intoxicating feeling and it's like that's really hard to get across because it's it's something as we've said so many times it's something entirely subjective but pretty universal you know uh to to kind of human experience but everybody feels like they do it differently and you always feel like ah well i i've experienced love in a much deeper way than all the rest of you idiots um (laughs) and so you know what what can you do with cinema you know, and in terms of things like how do you deploy this? You know, we talked when we were doing the clips. How do you deploy the music in a romance film to make people connect to that experience of these two people to buy into these two people falling in love? You know, and and I think there's there's a craft to romance films when they're done well that is fascinating because you're you're trying to catch something that is so kind of intangible. Um, yeah definitely and you know so much of it obviously comes down to like performances and stuff like that but Mm. in terms of things like direction and you know cinematography how do you you know do you do you literally have the screen you know light up when they when they see each other across the room Mm. you know how those kind of those first moments all the all that kind of stuff like how are you filming that how are you lighting that what sound what score are you using Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff is uh you know how are you staging that particular moment is is really fascinating stuff and and seeing how different films choose to approach those moments those key moments in relationships how do you mm. how do you film it when the when the relationship starts to fall apart like yeah. how do you how do you get that moment connect you know connecting to people how do you make that moment universal it's all really fascinating stuff absolutely i i think it's interesting because we have uh, the language has evolved over time, and it since since we've started fucking talking, I think we've always tried to explain our feelings, and most of us can't. Oh you, right, I, I realised you meant humans and not us on this podcast. Since we've started recording, <laughs> love has been in the air. No, no, it's true because things like, for example, the phrases uh, even even used on the on the EP clips there um, of like your heart skipping a beat or falling in love. It's the feeling of uh, something in you that stops working. And this is where it gets interesting because, Tim, you, uh, I'm going to get to what you said in a second. I think it's fascinating. But um, if I was to try and describe in language the feeling of love or falling in love, the initial gut punch of love, it's the uh, it's the Tower of Terror. Um, it's where you go on a roller coaster ride and your whole stomach sinks for a second. Mm. You go, whoop. <laughs> and but imagine breathing in at the same time that happens, and that's why the yeah, that's why we get the phrase "take your breath away." Like, oh yeah, that does make sense. You just go, 
and you just sort of stop for a second um, because it literally stops you in your tracks. There's all these things we have. So you're right. Cinema gives us so many levers to pull. The problem is we're so attuned to it that most of it feels over the top because I've, I'm not only having it described to me, I'm seeing the connection. And if mm. the actors have chemistry, I'm feeling it. And then you pump it up with the lighting, the cinematography, and it's like, you've gone too far. <laughs> and then the music goes, no, 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 too far, too far, too far. And it feels like sometimes like you're pushing it too much. It's like, yeah, because you're not in the moment. And we mentioned that, that relatability. And this is a key thing about romance films. And that's what I'm just segue into. Romance is not just falling in love. Romance, invariably quite often, is losing love through death, through circumstance, through all kinds of bullshit that gives us a, a whole spectrum of things. And when you're a child, you're given stories that are very simplistic. The moral of a story is person meets other person, initial chagrin, complication, maybe they love each other, maybe they don't. Mm. And then finally they live happily ever after. So it's like, okay, I can see where you're going with that. But it's simplistic. Mm. There's no complication. There's usually an obstacle to overcome. But it's not the love. That's pure. Mm. That's true love. That's that fairy tale bollocks. Rather than you get to teenage years and it's like, kid, there's lots of true loves. I hate to say it. When true love goes away, another one comes along. Mm. And that's awful to say, especially as a married person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's the idea that you, um, you have these feelings inside you. Other people mirror them, feel them, and you expand. And it is that complication and more importantly love evolves over time um so when like when you get married for example one of the sort of mistakes if this is the right word is the presumption that nothing will change so you get romantic stories say like uh this is 40 for example mm. romantic comedy about things aren't when we got married when we're 20s so we've got kids now it's like still romantic still it's still ha and it's all like you don't do this anymore it's like yeah, because we're fucking old now. We've got responsibilities. Mm. But you still make the effort in different ways. And films can show that to you as well. It can show you the idea of... Uh, I can't remember the name of the film. There's a Liam Neeson film that came out recently. Uh, about Taken 3. That's exactly it. And he goes <laughs> over the fence. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, and the idea of like, just finding out your partner has cancer. And it's like, oh, this is going to be really hard to watch. Mm. Um, not to segue to TV, but there was a TV thing recently. I'm not going to talk about it. We're not going to reference it. But, but it Matt was... messaged me earlier this week saying, you're not allowed to talk about it, Jack. I know you want to. <laughs> I know. But no, it's TV. <laughs> I, I can't like... believe I did it. But it was a feature length, Matthew. It was fair. It was also contained. I was talking about a thing. Yeah. It's a video game adaptation for TV, but it's also... I want to <laughs> like cry like the rest of them. But it was like romantically charged, amazing, beautiful, uh, fuck about it with cinema. Mm. Um, but it's, again, it's the... It's the showing an older relationship is always going to show you one thing at the end of it. It's like, yeah, they gone die. <laughs> um, and it's like, oh, it's, it's tragic. They were died so young and it was taken from them. It's like, it doesn't mean it's any fucking less tragic when they're older. Yep. Um, so there are so many ways of, 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 of showing different eras of romance and love and different things like that. And we get hung up on the whole two young people falling mm. in love and they're both really pretty. And why don't they just fuck off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, when I was deciding on my picks for the second half, um, I did. I, I toyed with the idea of doing like a kind of almost like a like a teenage like romance film, something Ooh. in like uh, kind of middle age, adult middle age, kind of um, dealing with the realities of a relationship, and then something like towards 
the end, end of life, so to speak. Yeah. Like I was, I was uh, a film I almost picked was Supernova with uh, That's a great Sta- film. Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth, um, which is dealing with uh, Stanley Tucci having Alzheimer's. Yeah, um, That's tragic. Fant- fantastic, tragic film. Um, the yeah, the the there's so much to explore in so so many rom coms, like you say, are so focused and and romances in general on that initial moment because it's because it's it's the most it's when you feel the most excited about a relationship obviously because it's and it's when all those initial problems also present themselves that are so ripe for drama of like oh you know our pair we we come from two different sides of the you know she's she's a fancy uptown girl and i'm (laughs) just a you know a Bruce I'm, Springsteen. I'm Billy Joel. Please, Joel. Um, uh, and you know, oh, we come, we come from such different worlds. How are we ever going to reconcile? Or you know, oh, it, ter- it turns out our families hate each other, and John Leguizamo is here. Um, he's he's the king of cats. Leave him alone. He's, Prince the, of cats. he's the fucking best character in that film. Um, I agree with that. Uh, uh, mm, there's also um, Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off, Matthew. It, it's Jamie Kennedy's best role. It is. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it's it's when all those natural moments of drama, which you can also turn into moments of comedy, present themselves. Yes, but there's so that's there's so much like richer meat once you actually get into the relationship, and it, but those tend to be those slightly more grounded, slightly more realistic, a little bit perhaps even dour films about like, oh no, it's just like you know, it's it's fucking marriage story. It's just. And depending on your audience, yeah, people might want to see that. Yeah, because it's like I don't give a fuck. Let say you say you're like an eighteen-year-old. Yeah. I don't give a fuck what some thirty-year-olds are doing. Yeah, <laughs> why not take a break from all of your problems by watching all of these people's problems? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly looking at your partner and saying, "Yeah, we need to have a and, talk." <laughs> and yeah, and the and the lesson of those films tends to be, uh, there's no easy solutions. Uh, that you can't just ride off into the sunset. But if it's worth it. You work at it and you make it work. Some things are worth saving. Some things are worth getting out of. Exactly. As miserable as that is as a statement. It's that quote from the notebook I played earlier, right? It's going to mm-hmm. be hard. We're going to have to work together. We're going to yeah. have to put effort in. And you're totally right, Tim. Like that, funnily enough, the initial moment is so romanticized. It's so highlighted upon of like our eyes met across a room or the moment he said this or she did that or whatever it is. That's the moment I knew they were the one. It's like... That's it, not really how most relationships. I don't know if it's true with you and Emma Jane, Matthew. Like, yeah. you and your relationship and how it has grown. You've been married much longer than I have. Yeah. Um, and and together longer than Emma and I have been, and things like that. But yes, and previous relationships as well. Like, I can't remember a time where I've ever had that. Like, oh, I love this person. Sudden like realization. You chip away at that. It, it builds up, brick by brick, moment by moment, time after time. And you go on a few dates, you do this thing, blah, blah, blah. And then there's a I, there's never been a moment for me where there was so, this sudden switch of like, oh, now I plan to rent, like spend the rest of my life with this person or whatever. It's, it's almost like, I don't know, like measuring, like if you're trying to lose weight or like get fit or whatever it is and like measuring your increments every single day and like, oh, great, you lost like a few grams every day is like, that will eventually add up to kilograms, but give it a fucking chance. There's not a sudden moment where like, and now I'm buff and fit. It was like, we were slightly less buff and fit yesterday than you were the day before that and the day before that and the day before that. 
it's that constant effort and chipping away at it over a long time that again i feel like some of the examples we've picked in the second half will explore in in a few different ways that's why they're interesting that's why we've picked them because so often we think of romance in movies and you think of that magical like spark moment that suddenly love blossomed in that magical moment and they knew they were going to be together forever from this moment onwards whereas actually usually not how things work and if you do have that magical moment sometimes that fizzles out very quickly and again some films do explore that kind of stuff but that's not the typical kind of cliche thing we think of i think some of the the picks we've got in the second half are interesting because and like you tim i went purposefully went for different things that think about love and explore romance in different ways in cinema conscious thoughts of like oh it's not just three of the same thing you want three different ways of exploring this incredibly broad wide topic and i think between the three of us we've got nine very different angles and very different ways of looking at it mm. I'm, I'm gonna say something a little little sacrilegious now fuck love tim's about to say love isn't real <laughs> uh no um a lot of a lot of my favorite uh romantic relationships that are brought across in the medium of moving picture are oh, all <laughs> erotic guilt fiction <laughs> uh no uh come from, come from television rather than film ah, because there's more time because, to develop because there's more time there to you develop go. There you and go. you get to see the the relationship over a much longer not some films can encompass a, an entire relationship's lifetime notebook yeah but you still have to do that within the space of a feature film that you know max is out at three and a half hours if you're bollywood yeah um <laughs> you know true. uh whereas if it's a tv series you can do that over many many hours um and you get to see that dynamic yeah. grow and change and and, and evolve the, the most complicated romance i've ever seen uh is anime mm. the anime that goes on for like 50 plus episodes mm. if not a hundred if not 300 episodes i'm like Jesus Christ, this is beautiful. And sometimes it's comedy, sometimes it's drama. And it ends with them holding hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't... We that's, that's the finale, like... Oh, yeah. Peak of romance and, and <laughs> sexual tension in anime. Holding, holding hands. hands. Yeah. yeah. Fruits, baskets, and um, and Kage Summer Lovers War. One's a comedy, one's a drama. One's fucked up psychological thriller stuff. But it's also like, yeah. And every single episode is like, I oh, just fucking tell her you love her i can't do this i can't keep watching this <laughs> yeah and obviously sometimes that can be incredibly frustrating because it mm. because if you're trying to string out that relationship yeah you have to start throwing more and more ridiculous road bumps into it to be like well now we can't get together because i'm in love with your sister and <gasps> she's that's telenovela territory yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um but where a relationship is actually given the scope to rather than kind of that that thing of like oh we're gonna have a will they won't they yeah. because you know we know that as soon as we resolve it we're gonna fuck it up basically yeah it's so they won't get together until the very final episode mm. um whereas if you actually allow that relationship to grow and develop at a natural pace and then explore the consequences of that there's like i say there's real rich territory there it's yeah. just a little bit harder to do because it's away from the easy source of drama and stuff like that it's very true i'm i'm gonna bring up uh, another couple of examples by the way um of different types of romance because I'm, I'm i just want to 
uh, give them a bit of airtime. Uh, the first is just to come back to uh, something we mentioned earlier about, you know, 1960s films, 1940s films, 1980s films, and you're going, ooh, in terms of representation, in terms of uh, visualization and and um, and presentation. And so it's like the idea of like, oh, this is a film from the 50s. And it's like, now listen here, long lady, you're going to work with me and I'm going to be... It's like, why is this 45-year-old man hitting on this 16-year-old? Yeah. I'm not happy with this. Why is he slapping her? It's like, because she's hysterical. It's like, I'm not comfortable. Yeah. Anyway, but also in the Hayes Code sort of era, it was illegal to show things. Yeah. You could, not I mean like in a special zone in the fucking DVD section, like, oh no, mm. that's, that's your stories. It's like, no, no, no. If you show me any homosexuality, if you show mm. me interracial anything, I'm gonna fucking shut your film mm. down. And it's like, that's monstrous levels of censorship. Mm. Um, and that still exists in a lot of countries today, basically, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and, with, uh, you know, and, and I mean, even in Hollywood, oh, yeah. there are still. It's not necessary. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to read into people's things. Oftentimes, it is not necessarily the people mm-hmm. producing the films who are like, we can't show an interracial relationship. Yeah. Now it tends to be, I'm not sure this will play well in the South. Like yeah, we can't. Yeah. There are, you know, we've got to consider that the, you know, yeah, people in Tennessee don't want to see an interracial relation, interracial relationship, and it's yeah. like, well, fuck them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and this is what's getting interesting now. Yeah, people from Tennessee, if you're listening, fuck you. Hello. Um, so <laughs> we get now the point of like showing, uh, almost actively challenging that. Mm. So, for example, we will now do historical films. I think now we've always done this way, but we do historical films that uh, put it with a, a contemporary lens, or alternatively with a revisionist lens. Not because it's changing history, but because it's changing our ideas of what history was. Yes. So, for example, you would say we could show something like, very strange example, The Last Duel. The, uh, oh yeah, yeah, Ridley Scott film. Mm. And talking earlier about like uh, you know um, uh, one Adam Driver line in the film is like she gave the usual protestations and said no 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 but that's that's normal. And it's like Jesus Christ, <laughs> um, and it's like yeah because in the 1300s that was normal. Yeah, because as you say there was no like no women don't have an opinion they're traded like cattle. Mm. That's unfortunately it's like yes this is the dowry this is the land this is the mm. wife she comes with it and I was promised this and it's what considered previously about a knight's chivalry and yeah. honor and how they viewed the situation and then there's I mean, a Rashomon style we, thing of something else. We haven't really even even touched on but like the word romance and the idea of oh, yeah. romances goes back to that kind of courtly chivalric mm. stuff and and you know a romance used to mean not just you know it was romantic love as opposed to like a marriage being a way of sealing a contract between two families and yes. d- doing land deals essentially um <laughs> but also would include you know mm. knights fucking each other up and stuff like that there's there's the the romance of alexander the great yeah which is literally the romantic ballad it was again with yeah. this phrase of, of of historical chronicling and it's like mm. sure <laughs> um but then we are now saying like oh we're going to set a film in the 1940s and we're going to show what it was like for you know a couple who would have been completely hated or, or, or mm. not not inverted commas allowed to be mm. uh, a thing and you could have like um that's why like period historical films are fascinating because it's like ah different time you couldn't just say look i love you you'd have to be all weird about it so you get your pride and prejudice and it's like well mm. at the time this is very different it's like why don't you just say you love them it's like because i'm not allowed to yeah that's not a thing and then you get something like um a royal affair 
great Danish film um, from 2012. And it's like, yeah, we're going to show you how this literal affair happens between a quite literal insane king uh, and his his wife, uh, the, the the queen consort as well, and, and a doctor. And it's like really uncomfortable, but there's this love triangle angle and trying to basically drag Denmark out of effectively the dark ages um then you got carol uh with uh rudy mara and uh kate blanchett it's like yeah this is about you know a a a really painful uh lesbian relationship that sort of doesn't doesn't happen mm. and it, it's going back and saying we didn't tell these stories at the time all the stories we were telling were coded in a certain way that people were mm. picking up on now we're gonna actually pick up on it um and it's that historical reassessment of stuff. So, for example, if you think about Rocket Man, that is a biopic. Mm. If you did Rocket Man in the, in the 90s, you would be doing Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, you would be, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> you would be sidestepping all the uh, the questionable stuff with the mm. drugs and the life. It's like, well, that's a rock biopic. Mm. It's like, yeah, and also what? It's like, well, then. Uh, and all the gay stuff. Like, yes. Yeah, obviously. Fuck it. It was, everyone knew. Yeah. It was very clearly broadcast everywhere. But in the film's representation, of it, as you say, it's like, well, we've invested a lot of money in this movie. We know it's a thing, but we don't want to show you that thing. Mm. So uh, there's more confidence now where it's like, fuck the audience. We'll find our audience. Mm. And when, when Hollywood realizes, like anything, when there's money to be made... They're not doing something as like Moonlight is fantastic. Of course it's fucking fantastic. Moonlight won best picture mm. uh, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like two romance films, Moonlight, La La Land. Mm. So different. Yeah. One's good. Um, <laughs> and Moonlight is like, yeah, we're going to tell this story about it. And it's like, yeah, n no one's going to want to see that because, well, I said no one, you know what I mean? The, 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 the broad general public don't mm. think they want to see that kind of movie because it's challenging and, 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 uh, quite grim at times um but it's also really really beautiful it's like yeah and we have a you know as a cinema audience have a problem understanding that sort of something like, oh no maybe it's not for me it's like it's a film every story is for if you if you give it a chance mm. arguably um and so subsequently we're getting to that point of like i don't care if they don't get it i'm making it for the people who will get it mm. and and it's important to say that like these films have always existed yeah it's just oftentimes they have not been given the room to grow they have not been picked up by major studios they have not you know they have been literal like underground films that you know that that you know and in certain parts of the world still would be extremely illegal and stuff like that but like you know you can go back and there mm. there is you know there's an extensive history of you know black cinema where it is telling you know black love stories that weren't really allowed to play out on screen you know in in big hollywood films until you know relatively recently and, mm -hmm. and queer cinema that's you know dates back and you know is is kind of dealing with those stories and you know they they have always existed both as you know in the real world and on cinema it's just how accessible they were yeah. and how much they were allowed to reach mainstream audiences which segues perfectly to my my last little point and i don't necessarily approve of the wording of it but it's what we call it in the industry forbidden love because that means so much that can be literally something like what's forbidden love well it's set in the you know uh the the 1960s uh civil rights movement era and it's between a young uh african-american couple 
uh, sorry, African American and, and, and white as a couple. It's like, oh, oh, oh my God, in the South, it's unheard of. You can't have this. And it's the tensions and it's a classic Romeo and Juliet. They're going to mm. just let them be in love. I mean, blah, blah. literally the, the, the story that is, is almost like the classic romance of Romeo and Juliet mm. is a story of forbidden love. Exactly. It's a story of, no, you're not allowed to date that person because we hate their family. Yeah, but we, I, but we love each other. I don't care. Yeah. Um, and then you get, other forbidden loves, which are, and I'm, I know this is a, re- that's why I say it's a very controversial bit of wording here, because then you get into this very dark, weird territory. Shape of water is forbidden love. <laughs> and it's like, she go fuck that fish. Um, and it's like, yeah, but it's a romance. <laughs> Tim is giving us the, uh, the sign language for fish dick, <laughs> as, as told to us by Guillermo del Toro. Um, and then you get, um, and, and again, this is what gets very complicated because you then get platonic love and f- bromances, basically, as, as it's been sort of very loosely coined and stuff. And it's like, yeah, is that not a romance? It's like, no, but yes, but kind of. It's like, would it be if given the circumstance and the condition, would this become a romantic entanglement? It's like, I guess all the all the things are here for it. Again, with the, back to Top Gun again. It's like, is that a romance? It's like, yeah, it is. Not the way you wanted it to be, though. Um, and that's just, you know, how it's presented and how the audience adopt it, how they see these things. And it's, it's again, it's it's the spectrum and the scope of what can be achieved with the word romance and how it can be mishandled and botched and overplayed and cliche and tropey and sometimes painfully sincere. And that's the difference between going, oh, that's nice. That's a nice film. To... I can't watch that ever again. Yeah. It's like, why? <laughs> because I saw myself and I can't... D- mm, nope, not doing it. Or more accurately, no, because I saw myself and someone who is not in my life anymore and I don't want those memories. I can't deal with that right now. Because um, it's, again, it's if, if it's if it's been done well and it's sincere and earnest and honest, then it's something true to somebody. And that means it's going to resonate with audience members like, oh, I can relate to that. I can understand that. And some people go, I can understand that too fucking well <laughs> and i'm done yeah i'm out or sometimes you get the good alternative version of that where it's oh i can relate to that so well it, it has got its hooks into my brain now i need to watch it eight more times uh, absolutely tim absolutely or it could be like the fountain and you're like maybe i don't want to fall in love ever because <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna lose love at one point that's the message to learn from us this week listeners yeah don't love Love cinema instead of each other. Yeah, there we go, Tim. Today's episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible has literally hundreds of thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, comedy specials, and basically everything under the audio sun. And we're here to enhance their fantastic experience because you can get a month's free trial of their fantastic service and a free audiobook courtesy of us by going to audibletrial.com slash sequel it's that easy and since we're talking about romance i could cover a lot of different things there's a lot of audiobooks i could recommend but actually before we started recording this half of the podcast tim gave a little recommendation to me and i read the little synopsis like i think i vaguely heard of this book and it sounds really interesting so i'm captivated thank you recommendation tim you're welcome it is this is how you lose the time war by amel amotar and uh Sounds very interesting. It's basically a 
science fiction love story. Here we go with the combination of genres that we talked about in the first half. The little synopsis goes to something like this. Two time-travelling agents from warring futures working their way through the past begin to exchange letters and fall in love in this thrilling and romantic book from award-winning authors Amel Emotar and Max Gladstone. That sounds pretty interesting and pretty cool, and it's about four and a half hours long, so it's not super short, not super long, somewhere in the middle. If you want to dip your toes in the audiobook world and try something out, a little novella like this is a pretty good way to do it. And you can get it for free by going to audibletrial.com slash sequel. Like I said, you get a free month of the membership, so you can try out a few other bits of their services. You can also listen to us and many other podcasts on Audible as well, and basically get all of your audio stuff under one roof in one app through Audible. That's audibletrial.com slash sequel for one month free trial and a free audiobook, courtesy of your boys at Sequelizers. So whenever we have picks for ourselves, obviously we have a bit of a conundrum because there is obviously, ah, these are my gut reactions. These are my first knee jerk. Of course, that's what I'm going with. And then because the three of us are the way we are, we tend to go, hang on, I'm a work in a theme or I want to bring a spotlight to a less obvious film or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm not going to tell you my theme just yet, but I'm going to say that I kind of picked almost the same film three times sort of interesting so the first film is um from 1945 oh god <laughs> hello matthew it's a british film from 1945 um it is um fairly objectively one of the best films ever made and one of the best romantic movies ever of all time as voted for by critics and fellow filmmakers and all that sort of stuff. Which means, of course, people might go, it's fine. But, <laughs> you know, as far as um, things... It's no 27 dresses. <laughs> Certainly not, Tim. Why didn't I pick 27 <laughs> dresses? <laughs> Tim, you're right! It's an excellent question. Uh, no. That's a question um, we should all be asking ourselves. We really Why don't, don't we just talk about 27 dresses nine times <laughs> every week? James Marsden... Is a treasure. Yeah, she's whimsically thinking about it and things she goes off into distance. He takes a picture of her. It was a violation of her trust. But later she turns out she's happy with it for some reason. That, that film's weird. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> Brief Encounter. Brief Encounter is uh, is it was like a one-act play from the 30s uh, by Noel Coward. Noel Coward is one of those very iconic uh, early parts of the 20th century British thespians. And he was kind of a genius um and brief encounter and this thing is i won't I, I, we've got a few minutes for each one of these things i'm not going to spoil it with like here's the fucking full story but the premise is it's told mostly in uh in, in flashback in retrospect and it's a, a sort of middle-aged married woman with kids um and a, a middle-aged married doctor with kids and they have a chance meeting at a train station and um, the female lead gets something caught in her eye, a little bit of grit, and he helps her get it out with the tissue. Simple as that. And then the next couple of days, they bump into each other again at the train station because he's a, a GP, he's a doctor, but he also works at a hospital every now and again. And she, being a woman of the 40s, goes shopping in the town <laughs> and sometimes goes to the cinema. <laughs> um, and so they keep meeting every now and again and they go for a meal and... They then say, oh, like, well, I've got an evening afternoon free. I'll go to the cinema with you. We'll watch a film together. And being the 40s, it's like, hang on a minute here, Doctor. 
you can't be hanging out with that old lady. <laughs> That's not how they spoke back then. But it's the, it's, it's the idea of like, <laughs> you can't be seen unaccompanied with a married woman. That's scandalous. Why are you together? So when they bump into one of uh, this guy's friends, it's like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, d- don't worry about it. It's like, why are you viewing a house together? What the fuck is this? Um, and it's a tragic romance because they are genuinely the best couple. They are suited for each other. And it's always a thing I found fascinating with with romance. There's a point where a film goes, this is the perfect person. This is the person I love. And we described it right at the start, the idea of, uh, you know, uh, individuals meeting in all those butterflies and there's um, swelling orchestra. What if it's the wrong time? What if it's like, oh no, I'm already married. I already have children. And it's like, yeah, and I'm not going to break them up and cause tragedy with that stuff. But I feel so strongly with it. I've got such a connection, such a chemistry. Um, so between uh, Alec or Dr. Harvey, who's played by uh, Trevor Howard, and um, Celia Johnson, who's playing Laura Jessen, th- there's just this normal couple. And the thing about this thing being a 1945 movie and why it's so romantic and so so beautiful, it feels so real. Yeah, okay, they're still saying, oh, I couldn't possibly tell you. No, it, it, no, darling, I couldn't. And it's like, oh, I wish I'd never even met you in all this frightful pain. But it's still relatable and real and feels really grounded and that's why i think it's endured for so long and why people still say like no this is one of the best films ever made mm. because it's in three or four places it's in she's in the house with the kids and she feels like she's neglecting her family uh she's at the train station there's a little cafe nearby and the film starts with the end of the movie where they're having a conversation literally is this, this this conductor comes in talks to the person who's running the cafe and in the background we see them talking and it's like what is happening here? Mm. What is this really emotional conversation? And then this, for lack of a better phrase, chatty friend comes and sits down. <laughs> like, oh, hello, how are this you? This chatty Kathy. <laughs> yeah. She comes over and just sits down. And, like, and you can see in their faces, like, can you fuck off? Yeah. <laughs> can, can you literally, I, not now, but because yeah. it's 1940s Britain, I couldn't be so frightfully rude. Mm. So it's like, so they're clearly like, this is the moment where they could say whatever's going to happen at the conclusion of this movie. Like, oh, I don't understand. And this woman just won't, leave them alone and they like we don't get our emotional goodbye all this stuff and it's beautiful and tragic and forlorn and um wonderfully shot as well for a 1940s movie it's got this obviously it's been black and white and it's framed in a way that all the faces are sort of lit but everything around them is quite dark and shadowy and and um and it's the idea that in that moment in that motion you are only facing on those uh, uh, those those expressions um, and you see the um, the fantastical dreamlike sequences of a life together and what it could be. But then he's like, I've got to go to, to Johannesburg. I'm going to South Africa to be a doctor there. And it's important. And it's like, am I going to leave my family in, you know, sort of middle England? It's, it, it's, it's tragic and it's wonderful. And it's the kind of thing that resonated so much with the audience at the time because it was 1945. And the idea of, meeting someone at a train station after and and then like it, this is the perfect love but it's the wrong time how here how now i can't do this and it's like yeah the war interrupted everything so imagine that being replicated in the same way we'll see pandemic movies that aren't pandemic movies coming out things that will represent that feeling without showing it bluntly is that it's like the oh my god if things were just a little bit different and it's 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 wonderful i rec- i gen- it's like an hour and a half long it, it it sails by, it's charming as shit, 
Mm. I love it. I, I really highly recommend it. And it's it's, it's also David fucking Lean directing it. That's exactly right. David Lean, if you don't know, some of the most epic <laughs> spooling romance dramas yeah. and, and things of all time. Like they did Lawrence Arabia and Dr. Zhivago. And it's like... Bridge on the River Kwai. Exactly. This is like his... Well, not his earliest stuff, but um, it's, it's more of a grounded, quiet piece. Because if you expect like, oh, geez, it's going to be a huge cinematic scope. It's like, it is, but it's contained in this tiny little thing. Um it's it's beautiful. It's a it's a wonderful piece. I really love it. Um, Jack, I'm going to bounce to you next for something I assume exactly the same and completely related. Yep, yeah, exactly the same thing. Weird enough, I'm going to pull on a thread and segue us across. Oh, I'm looking for because again, I'm I'm building on themes and my plan essentially for my three is unconventional or subversive ways of looking at romance in in films. So I'm going to start with one that kind of really pulls on that thread of meeting the right person at the wrong time or the wrong person at the right time. Ooh. And maybe this story isn't the right actual romance story. Like you said, you, you get a married people who meet and be like, oh shit, turns out you're probably my soulmate and I'm married to this other person. I want to talk about 500 Days of Summer. <laughs> Very different to Brief Encounter. I love 500 Days of Summer. I do as well because I think a lot of people don't get this movie <laughs> i i think it's way more subversive and way on the kind of like edge of analyzing what dickheads men can be because it spends so much time in in tom played by joseph gordon levitt the central he's the main character and so many people relate to him because he's the nice guy right he's trying to live his dream and fall in love with the girl of his dreams and it then turns into hold on so if you, if you understand this story from summer's perspective and there's been interviews with mark webb the director with joseph gordon levitt and with zoe de chanel who plays the titular summer if you think about it from her perspective he's a dickhead 100 it's, it's the perfect like analysis of the nice guy trope of like nice guys finish last and all this kind of shit and she is also the subversive in classic zoe de chanel style Manic Pixie Dream Girl. It's those two tropes that we have seen done millions of times in cinema to terrible effect, brilliant effect in various different ways. And this is the subversion and deconstruction of both of those things. And fuck me, a lot of people don't seem to understand that, that this is the whole point. And Mark Webb has talked about this so much. All three of them have talked about it in interviews of like, yeah, you know, that's the point, right? Like, <laughs> you're not supposed to like him. He's an arsehole. He has put this woman on this pedestal that is completely unfair and unrealistic and all of his expectations of love and even the subversion thereof, the male character being the romantic and her being more interested in casual relationships and stuff, is that gender stereotype reverse? And I don't understand how people watch this film and go like, oh, I really wish they stayed together at the end. Like, did you not experience the last hundred <laughs> minutes of this film? When films hold up a mirror, sometimes people go, I'm looking good. <laughs> Rather than, yeah, yeah. oh no. <laughs> yeah, because it's the thing, if you, if you go back and watch it, from the very start of their relationship, and even prior to their relationship, she is always, she's consistently saying, I'm not looking for a romance yeah. right now. I'm not looking for that kind of relationship. Yeah. All I want is this. But because we're coded to see it as a romantic comedy and that is the way that he is approaching the world and he's like well if i just if i just grind it i feel this way about her so surely she's gonna yeah. feel the same yeah. way about me yeah and then if you go back and watch it it's like 
no, you're just projecting everything onto this woman. And she has always been clear in that, like, I'm happy to date you, but I don't see this going anywhere. Yeah. Like long term. And you're just trying to like power through and almost like, almost like that old, you know, horrible Old-timey. regressive thing of yeah. like, well, if I just wear her down, she'll fall in love with That's me. Right. It's it, like yep. it's the deconstruction of yeah. that that relationship and that dynamic between these characters. And the the moment that really drives back for me from from what you were talking about with brief encounter there of these two people meeting at a point in their life, and sometimes that is that magical moment where it's like, oh, it turns out we met at just the right time. And if uh, me and my wife say this all the time, like if we'd met as teenagers, we'd fucking hate each other. We're completely different people. Absolutely. Um, But the fact that we met in our like mid twenties means that we were mature enough and all that kind of stuff to understand each other and had grown since our weird teenage years. Uh, I had hair down to my shoulders and Emma was a fucking maniac. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I love the two defining qualities there. (laughs) I had long hair, which she would hate. And she was a maniac, which I would hate. Um, but what it does is you have Summer's line of when she they like reconcile like they they meet up later on in the in the film. Bear in mind it's told non-linearly, so bear with the whole like it bounces around. It bounces around a lot exactly. But you have a little day tracker, which I think is a really nice little touch. The the five hundred days of Summer Fun. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And she says, "Well, Tom first says, wait a minute, you got married? Like you told me you didn't want to get married. You didn't want anything serious.'" And she was like. Yeah, you weren't the right person. You're you're looking for love. You're looking for the right person. I wasn't the right person for you. And she concedes, when I yeah. when I found this person, I knew it felt right. And I know other I, friends of mine who have said this. Um, I had a friend who was within a really long term relationship, and they had talked about kids and blah 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 blah, and getting married and stuff, and it never happened. Eventually, they broke up. Like seven, eight, nine year relationship. And within 18 months of him getting with his new partner, they moved in together. Like a year after that, they got married and six months after that, they had a baby. So in like three years, more quote unquote progress, like (laughs) traditional expectations of love and relationship stuff happened compared to nine years, like this guy's entire 20s, basically. And then suddenly in the span of three years, married kids, house, blah, 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 all the kind of like traditional expectations of of couples and stuff like that. So like, you just got to get into that achievement hunter mindset. <laughs> they, th- thank you, Tim. You got to you got to up your game. Drink your uh, G fuel or whatever that stuff is, <laughs> and, and understand what you're doing. But yeah, when you know, you know, right? I think that's that's such a key thing. And when and the, the whole point of 500 Days of Summer is he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He yeah. also kind of doesn't learn his lesson, and he absolutely does not learn his lesson because spoiler alert for a what 14 year old movie at this point that made me feel very old just saying that mm-hmm. out loud <laughs> it ends with autumn arriving yeah and <laughs> autumn and it ticks over to day one you're like it does oh, and he breaks fuck. the fourth wall and like yep yeah make the same mistakes again <laughs> oh god it, i love the idea that she's right that line is perfect for me i think because it's zodation says you were right tom yes just not about me there you go and it was the whole yeah. like because then and then here's that moment so um Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character of Tom turns around and starts of like almost hiding it. He's crying because it's like, but why? What have I done? It's, like, it's nothing like that. It's just the compatibility isn't there. He's constantly it's, trying to fix things. She's and always like, honest yeah. with him. Yeah. And he's always like, I heard a bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a brilliant moment where she, where she talks about, oh, the, the secret she's never told anyone else. Mm. And 
the narrator fades up over the top of it and you realize like oh tom's not paying attention to this they're having this incredibly personal intimate moment that should be setting the foundation for this relationship and he is off picturing house kids blah 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 all this future stuff that she has not agreed to once and you're totally right again they talked about it in interviews she is open and honest with him from the beginning pretty much and he just like ignore i'm in my own world blah 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 blinkers on i'm, I'm just gonna ignore everything and this is gonna be the perfect relationship and i'm not gonna take into account anything you say and i i think it's just a fantastic underrated kind of subversive story that takes all of the tropes and all the cliches deconstructs them and like if you watch it twice and watch it purely from tom's perspective as it's presented and then re-watch it again and really pay attention to what is actually going on with Summer as a character, it is two entirely different films, and I think mm. it's fucking brilliant. Which is so great because it has that amazing sequence of the uh, expectations and reality split yes, screen, exactly. which almost mm. feels like those two experiences of watching the film, of yep. like, oh, Tom's perspective, it's like a you know a wonderful rom-com and they end up together, and it's like, no, but the reality is like not at all like that. Exactly. Uh, and I think the film signposts that very well. Yeah. In mm. the first title card where it says the following events aren't based on real people. Yeah. <laughs> Especially you, Jenny Beckman. You bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, there it is. Now I know exactly what this film is going to be. And I'm like, oh, and because I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Great choice. Yeah. Great choice. Tim, how about you for your first pick? Uh, my first pick uh, is partially inspired, or not inspired uh is is due to the more due to the personal connection that i have with the mm. film uh rather than the film itself although i do think it is a very good film okay um my first pick is forgetting sarah marshall the 2008 rom-com uh kind of coming out of the judd apatow period of comedies yeah uh it's uh directed by nicholas stoller who went on to make the muppets film mm-hmm. um and with jason siegel who went on to write and star in the muppets film yep. and it features uh a puppet dracula <laughs> musical yeah it does um but yeah uh essentially it is a film about uh a couple who break up uh right at the start of the film and then end up going to both at the same resort in hawaii uh her sarah marshall the the titular sarah marshall uh with a new boyfriend and peter who's played by jason siegel um is essentially there because he's got incredibly depressed in the process of the breakup and is just looking to escape and he's like oh sarah always mentioned this amazing resort in hawaii i'll go there and it's like oh turns out she's there as well (laughs) and then of course because it's a rom-com he ends up meeting mila kunis's character who works at the hotel and they develop a connection and uh, start falling in love um and i think this i think it's a really good film it, it has one of those things that i always really enjoy in a film in that there's not really any bad guys in it um like yeah. it's got russell brand as this new boyfriend called um alder snow who's this like musician um he's basically playing himself except if he's a musician rather than a stand-up comedian mm-hmm. um and he's kind of a dick but he's a dick in a very honest forthright way in the same kind of almost like in the way of 500 days of summer where he's very much like no we're just like fucking around for a while and i have no real interest in a relationship and there's no interest in in getting back against peter it's like yeah "Yeah, i feel like you're going through some stuff i don't want to be involved in that yes yeah Yeah. um even sarah marshall who's uh, played by Kristen bell um 
you kind of get her perspective on like why the relationship didn't work out. There's a great montage where she's like, there were seven days in a row where you just wore sweatpants um, <laughs> and, and, and this kind of stuff. And, and, and you do start to, even though we only see really the end of their relationship, we get a few flashbacks and you start to understand like, Oh no, like initially it's from like his perspective and he's idealizing the relationship. And then it's like, Oh no, we're seeing moments where he's like, Oh no, she was actually kind of terrible. And then you realize like, no, she wasn't terrible. You're just like, you just didn't work as a couple, like ultimately, like you had some good times, but really clearly the relationship had come to an end. I kind of got obsessed with this film while I was getting over a breakup um, <laughs> I think that's fair. and yeah. watched it not like on repeat, but watched it like probably in the space of like a year, six or seven times. It's a, um, it's, but it's a hopeful film. It is a it's, hopeful it film. It starts it's, with a breakup and a penis and a penis. Oh, Big old fucking dick. Yeah. Um. And then it goes to a place of like, yeah, but maybe that's a good thing that they do. No, they weren't yeah. pursued. It does. The 500 Days of Summer, weirdly enough, also has a strangely hopeful sort of message to it. Mm. Brief encounter doesn't. Um, <laughs> um, but it's the, uh, it is the sense of like, yeah, maybe it's a line actually in, in, in 500 Days of Summer, but it's very much shown in the mm. game Sarah Marshall, which is next time you're doing that thing where you're playing the memories in your head, go back and look at them again. Yeah. And you yeah. play them back and go, oh yeah, maybe they weren't that great. I'm just remembering them because mm. I feel that way at the time. Yeah. And then it ends with a penis as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, it's, I think it's a very funny film as well. Um, I think pretty much everyone in the cast has great, chemistry and a great comedic mm. rhythm um and i think it's it's got some like there's there's a little bit of kind of manic pixie dream girl in mila kunis's character in that you it's it's very much told from the perspective of of peter of of his kind of his here's someone to get me out of these doldrums that i'm in and to get me yeah. you know into the next relationship but it also as much as they kind of find each other again at the end of the film, that it doesn't sun it doesn't say, oh, these two people are going to be together forever. Like it's, oh no, I needed someone to kind of get me out of the funk that I was in, and this person was was there for me, you know, mm -hmm. when I needed it. But it also yeah. it has it has a weird little interesting community uh, of the other people at the resort, whether those be other guests or the people who work there. And they all kind of contribute to getting like Peter out of his kind of depressive funk. Um, you've got like Paul Rudd as the surf instructor and uh, Jack McBrayer as this kind of um, newlywed who's incredibly intimidated by sex with his wife and stuff like that. Yes. Um, and, and, it, and it makes this interesting little thing of just kind of, as much as it's the relationship with Mila Kunis's character, it's more about just kind of him shaking himself out of his routine and shaking up his life a little bit to kind of move on with things. Mm. And in a way, the romance is almost incidental, which makes it a weird pick for this ro ro our romance films. But it's it is about the fallout from romance, both good and bad, and the idea that you know, even when you're coming out of a relationship that's ended in a way that maybe wasn't 100% great, 
there's still room to grow both as a person and to future relationships. Yeah. Um, and you get to see Jason Segel's penis twice. What it's more true. could you ask for in a romance? I do think there's actually a bad guy in that film. Is it uh, Jason Segel's penis? <laughs> Big old villain. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's the guy who runs the bar who beats people up who try to take down the picture oh, of yeah. naked in the, in the yeah, bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy's a dick. That guy is a dick. But not that to be fair, kind of dick. not that kind of dick. No. But that's the only person I can think of because you're absolutely right. Everyone else just, yeah. just you know, different shades of people. Yeah. Matt, we're back round to you. So continuing my theme, which I'm not going to talk about just yet. Um, <laughs> Keep guessing, listen. Yeah, I'm going for a 2019 French film, um, which is one of the best films ever made. <laughs> Christ. Um, is that your theme? It's just fucking amazing movies. It's a fucking coincidence but yes um the film is called portrait of a lady on fire um it is uh celine siama film and uh it's it's one of those examples i mentioned earlier of it's set in a different time period so it's set in the uh the late 1700s very early 1800s and the story is about as you're going into it you don't really realize it's a romance film it starts with uh, an artist in a gallery and it's told in flashback. The similarities to the previous uh, pick there. Um, and she's like, who who brought that painting out of the story? She's teaching young girls in, in, in France how to paint. It's like, who took, who took this one story? She said, oh, I did. Who painted it? It's like, I did. I said, what? Mm. And she starts telling the story about this picture. Um, and it's a very impressionistic style, like a memory that she has. And then it cuts to her as a slightly younger woman on a boat going to an island and she's been contracted to paint an image of someone who is betrothed to a guy in, in Milan. Um, and the older sister has died and no one's saying anything, but basically she committed suicide. And so this woman comes in, she's like, right, I need you to paint the younger sister cause I'm wedding her off, but I want a painting. I was like, okay. Um, and the, Younger sister has obviously been running through all kinds of thoughts and she locked away herself away in a nunnery. So she still dresses in black and she's in mourning and she refuses to have her picture uh, uh, taken or painted. So this artist, this young lady has to go with walks on her. Uh, she's like, like, like the countess, her the mother has hired this friend for her to talk to her, to get her through the grief and stuff. And all the while she keeps staring at her. And she's like, okay, I remember how her hands look. Okay, fine. What color her eyes? And she's like, what are you looking at all the time? And um, then she starts painting her. And then quietly she reveals to her that she's been painting this thing. And she shows her the painting. And she gets pissed off. <laughs> and she says, is that what you see? Is that is that me? And then what happens is she, she, she sullies the painting. And she's like, you know, okay, you get five more days. And the mother's pissed off. And it's like, what, what, we need this done. The marriage is happening and so on. All the while, the woman's having dreams and nightmares about this, this you know, haunting woman that she's staring at and, and studying and falling in love with. Um, and again, lesbians in the late 1700s in France. I don't bloody think so. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's very forbidden. And obviously that's the whole like, no, you, you can be absolutely in love with each other. And they are a fantastic fit for each other. And as the film progresses, they have a relationship that forms. But she's getting married in Milan to a guy 
this is not going to work out. You know this story's going to go and end tragically. And um, um, uh, the, the Marianne, the artist in question, is telling her about um, Summer by uh, Vivaldi. And it's a, uh, a thing that comes back later in the movie. And we talk about, Tim mentioned it earlier, how do you express this stuff? The feeling of love. The last, I'm not going to spoil it, but the last shot, two shots of this movie, is someone saying, and she didn't even see me. And then you zoom in on the person who can't see what's happening. And it's an uncut sort of shot. It just keeps running. And she's listening to this music and it's hitting her for the first time. And she looks like she can't breathe. And then she's crying and then she's smiling, but in a really subtle French kind of way. <laughs> um, and it's tragic. And on top of all this stuff, there's also a friendship with Sophie, the maid, who is getting an abortion. And it's like, what? And they're like, oh yeah, we'll help you with this. Um, it's It's a slow burn, beautiful, tragic, wonderful movie. Um, and as said, one of the best films of all time. Critics, you know, praised it, got a lot of uh, attention and things. Um, and it's, um, it's, it's, it's a hard one to talk about and recommend without spoiling too much of it. But it is literally the idea of, uh, of longing and study and how you can almost... Um, not just like the, the connection of like, oh, I've met you, you're beautiful, I'm in love with you. It's like, no, it's there is an element of that because when she first uh, meets Eloise, uh, she has her back to uh, Marianne and also therefore the audience. And she's in this big, uh, what in Britain people might understand as a Scottish widow's uh, cloak. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, that's a reference. For those who don't know, it's, a, it's an advertising campaign for an insurance company that may not exist anymore. Um, <laughs> But it was basically this Lord. Uh, late uh, 18th century cloak, huge riding cloak. And so the um, hood would come all the way over the head and the hair and this long flowing black baroque sort of like coat. And she walks away and you see uh, Marion walking from behind and looking at it and thinking, okay. And then she starts running towards the cliff edge and it's like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Is she going she gonna to do the same thing as her sister? What's going to happen? And then she turns around. And when she she's running for the first time, the hood comes down and you realize this golden hair and it's fascinating. And then she turns and looks at her for the first time. And you can tell the artist is like, I'm studying this moment. But the way it's framed is beautiful and shy. And it is a very, it's a wonderful female gaze as well, because it's obviously a female director in terms of like, what's romantic, what's beautiful, what's love. There's a scene where she, uh, where the artist first arrives on, on this island where she's being commissioned to do this painting. And in the first bit, her canvases get wet in the water. So she's drying them by fire. She's completely naked and she's smoking a pipe. And the framing of the shot is beautiful. She, they've got, the, they got the, the fire roaring in the background. They've got the canvases drying off. She's completely stark as, and she's just smoking a pipe. And it's like, this is so beautiful and somehow quietly erotic it's like you know what the male and female gaze is male gaze is doing blonde with anna de armas giving a fucking blowjob no. to jfk i'm going well that's God. challenging female gaze is like this is stunning this is i don't know what this is but i'm feeling stuff so yeah <laughs> it's 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 a beautiful film the story is tragic and wonderful uh the performances are fucking fantastic the mother the countess is the romantic lead from hot shots and you're like oh <laughs> hello what, the what are you doing here um, yeah, no, it's 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 great. I highly, highly recommend it. But going into it, you have to know, yeah, it's a period piece from the 1800s 
uh, sorry, 1700s, 18th century, um, about two lesbians who can't be together, and one is studying from a painting, and the other one doesn't like the painting. Sounds slow and boring. Kind of is. But you'll probably end up crying by the end of it. <laughs> um, so that's my that's my second pick. Jack. Hello. What's your segue from that? Oh, it's a tough one to segue from, yeah, Matthew. I know. I, know. Um, I don't give you guys a lot. <laughs> no, you don't. There's, I, I, I could segue to either one of mine, in fact. I have, I have tenuous links, to say the least. Women? Uh <laughs> Features human. <laughs> uh, no, not quite. Um, I'm actually going to go to a film from the year earlier, from 2018. Oh. And it has, a, this is my tenuous link, it has a scene where one of the characters is doing a tribute to Edith Piaf, who's a famous French <laughs> singer, so French in like olden times and women and that. I want to talk about A Star Is Born from 2018. You just said tortured artists. That too. <laughs> <laughs> I like to make it as tenuous as possible. Does anyone piss themselves in Portrait <laughs> of a Lady on Fire? Um, I mean, we see and her... it's beautiful we see and her, erotic. We see her put out the fire because there is a... Her, she does catch fire at one point. Uh, we don't know if she doesn't piss herself in that sense, so who knows? Is that where the phrase, I wouldn't piss on you to put out fire? <laughs> <laughs> is that where that comes from? 100%. <laughs> you nailed it. Okay, good. But yes, I want to talk about A Star Is Born, the fourth adaptation of that version yeah. of the film, I believe, uh, from 2018. That is the Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga one, if you're not paying attention to the dates and stuff. Uh, not talking about Barbara Streisand, unfortunately. Sorry, Streisandonites out there. Or is it Judy Garland? And Judy Garland, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I want to talk about this again because it's, I think, an interesting look at love over a longer period and what seems like a typical, like, older guy, younger girl. He used to be successful. She's going to be successful. Like, for those of you out there, I just described the entire movie, basically. <laughs> but the way that Jackson, which is Bradley Cooper's character, the, the male lead of the film, goes through his journey of... Not feeling good enough, I think, is something that is not explored enough. And that's something that's very personal to me. I suffer from pretty bad imposter syndrome most of the time, whether that's professionally or personally and all this kind of stuff. I always feel like, in, like I'm trying to make it up to people or, like, you know, be good enough for this thing. That, oh, something nice happens to me. I need to be good enough to be worthy of that or whatever it is, that kind yeah. of thing. You know the thing I mean. And I think... Jackson, the character, really like takes it to the next level where obviously he's dealing with substance issues and alcoholism and all kinds of stuff. And then it turns into jealousy for all the success that Ali is seeing, which is Lady Gaga's character. And he does this whole like, she starts off as this like wholesome, like singer songwriter. Granted, she's in a drag bar, but like very like sweet young singer-songwriter type and then turns into funnily enough this lady gaga-esque super like electro pop star type thing and he gets jealous of that because he's an old like country boy singer type and even more so his brother played by sam elliott <laughs> the real old country boy type and uh that shift in their relationship and him not feeling like he can keep up and not feeling worthy of her and simultaneously showing that 
he's jealous of all of her success because he is the one that never had success. He had some success. He was a big country star, but not at this level, not at her age and all this kind of stuff. And he shows his love in all the wrong ways, basically. <laughs> Which is, yeah. I, I think is a, a fascinating way, again, coming back round to 500 Days of Summer and understanding the Tom and Summer dynamic. It's a very different approach, but I think it explores similar themes around how two people can seem like they're made for each other but one of them and their language of love whether that's literally what they're saying to each other or how they're processing how they interact with each other i don't know if you guys have like thought about that in terms of like oh Mm. you know your partner is much more touchy-feely than you or oh this person says talks a lot more whereas the other person does things and Mm. like i buy gifts as my love Love languages love languages exactly. exactly yeah and what the character of Jackson Maine, I think, really struggles with is, first of all, expressing himself. He's dealing with this, like, toxic masculinity thing that is so built in him as this, you know, middle-aged country star type thing. He's got to be a good old boy and all that kind of stuff. And God forbid he, you know, shouts about and is proud of a woman succeeding in the music industry. How dare she? And there are moments where he is a genuinely love like lovely sweet loving husband to her Mm. but there's plenty of times where he is doing all the wrong things and communicating in all the wrong ways and what ali goes through i think is a really interesting journey because of she is being pulled in so many different directions you've also got the um like producer guy who is a real dickhead who is essentially Get rid of him. Get rid of him. You don't need him. He's going to hold you back, all this kind of stuff. In a way, he's right, but again, he's communicating in the wrong way. And I'm again, I'm sure we've all experienced this. Listeners, fellow sequelizers, like you have that person you dated in the past and your friends go, I don't know if they're right for you, man. Like, is that really? Really? And I, uh, I, I see the way they treat you. Like, that's And in that not... moment, they tell you to fuck off. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. no, I'm. I'm trying to tell you this as a friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, 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 yeah. I, 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 but we love each other. And it's like, mm, yeah, but it's maybe not the healthiest of relationships. Like, we're actually probably turning out to be quite bad for each other. And the fact that, obviously, Jackson's story is so tragic. Spoiler alert for a film that has been remade four times in the last 50 years. <laughs> he kills himself at the end. He hangs himself in, in the 2018 version. And there's that moment where like he everything kind kind of comes flooding into sobriety for him both literally and figuratively he realizes how much he's fucked up and also doesn't know how to deal with that because he has no understanding of how to communicate his feelings how to deal with the years of this relationship that they built together that seems to come crumbling around them to him seemingly overnight but it has been building up slowly and slowly similar to 500 days of summer it builds up and you set expectations, and reality never, ever meets those expectations. You need to go into relationships, try to go in without too many expectations. You can have some, you can plan, there's no problem with that, but mm. the issue that so many of these like classic romance characters go into is, yeah, like I said before, we're going to have kids, we'll buy a house, we'll build a family together, blah, 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 blah. That's not every relationship. Most relationships, probably 99% of the relationships in your life will not result in those things. 
especially like if you end up with the one person who you're married with for the rest of your life and all that kind of stuff there's that moment in a star is born where as you mentioned earlier tim he pisses himself in public and on an awards show and it is like the most mortifying thing for for ali for him even though he doesn't realize that i'm jackson has is so drunk i think he's drunk and high probably um has no idea what's going on but he has that realization afterwards of like oh my god i've jeopardized her entire career all this kind of stuff and that feels like the real turning point from him where everybody has spent this whole time saying you're not good enough for her you're gonna hold her back she's younger she's more beautiful she's more successful ignoring the fact that he's played by bradley cooper who is <laughs> incredibly successful and incredibly handsome and can't taught himself to sing for this film basically mm. even even scruffing himself up it's like you're making it worse yeah <laughs> you're not <laughs> helping yourself you're even sexier bradley um well, miss. <laughs> yeah but there's a bit of people out there thinking i could fix him yeah yeah and there's just that need, element just to needs it well. more moisturizer basically <laughs> exactly yeah there's that element to him as well like you have ali trying to do that and trying to fix him like no no, no. you know i've known him for for years now i, I can fix him there, there's still a chance and sometimes you need to know when that time is to walk away, when you, ironically enough, I played the clip from High School Musical at the beginning. <laughs> if you love someone, you have to learn when to move on, you have to learn when to let go and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes, in the case of this story between Ali and Jackson, they don't learn to let go until it's too late. And it culminates in the worst possible ending for a relationship. Mm. And that final tribute moment where she sings his song that he was writing about her before he killed himself and stuff is heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, all that kind of stuff. I don't think the film was perfect, but I think it really, really resonates and it does a fantastic job of driving home different elements of a relationship as it grows throughout the years. It's also a proven story that it literally endures, that it could be yes. done four times yeah. over and you go... Yeah. Mm, something new mm. yeah yeah definitely tim how about you for your next pick i have a nice easy segue oh uh, shit. because uh my f- next pick is also about a female pop star hey <laughs> <laughs> um and um it's probably the film on our list that the least number of people have seen i would guess um probably uh and um it's uh i wanted something that was really just kind of a straight up romance film um very much like not a lot of kind of extra stuff floating around in the mix it does deal (laughs) with the music industry a bit and stuff like that but it's very much just a story of like two people meeting each other and connecting and falling in love um and the film is beyond the lights uh, from 2014. Uh, it's directed by uh, Gina Prince Bythewood, who uh, more recently did uh, The Old Guard and The Woman King. Mm. Um, but pr- prior to that, was best known for doing uh, the, the film Love and Basketball, which is another great romance film. Um, and like this, and like that film, this is a African American love story. Um, on well. Uh, not necessarily African-American because uh, one of the characters is a black British woman, um, mm. but a, a black love story. 
um, which I also wanted to to, to pick uh, as as something to you know diversity diversity exactly, and uh, it stars uh, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, um, who is a fantastic actress, and Nate Parker, who, yep, um, <laughs> he's also there, <laughs> yep, uh, and uh, it is essentially about a kind of essentially a Rihanna type pop star who is incredibly controlled by her mother. Um, it starts off with like a, uh, a kind of a flashback to her youth taking part in this talent contest and she wins second place. And then her mum makes her smash up the trophy because second place isn't good enough. Her mum being mini driver. Her mum being mini driver. Amazing yes. performance. Uh, nice. Yeah. A fantastic performance from yeah, mini yeah, driver. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of jumps forward to, to the present day, so to speak, um, where her mum is her manager and, she's very much in this kind of mold of she's like this up and coming R&B star very much kind of being forced to kind of be very sexualized in her videos she's kind of coming up gaining more of the spotlight because she's in a relationship with this rapper who's played by Machine Gun Kelly um Christ. in the film <laughs> yeah. um who's an absolute piece of shit um and also in the film <laughs> <laughs> and is really actually miserable in her life to the point where she tries to commit suicide um, and she's rescued by this cop uh, played by Nate Parker who manages to grab her as she kind of jumps off of a, a balcony. Obviously, that's an incredibly intense way to meet someone and they form this very intense um, bond very quickly and that starts turning into a romance. Um, and it's just this very kind of pure romance film, like I said, um it does deal with some interesting stuff of like he's a police officer but he's also kind of trying to move into politics um and there's kind of uh his um i think it's his dad um is played by danny glover mm -hmm. and they have this kind of interesting talk about you know like can he continue moving into politics when he's in this quite high profile relationship where there's all these rumors uh, uh, and she has to essentially there's this kind of initially they're like oh no she fell from the balcony because obviously she's a celebrity and there's all this kind of you know oh what happened here pr pr kind mm, of stuff yeah um and then he's later when her uh ex now at this point boyfriend the rapper is like they do this kind of performance on stage together and he's a real dick and then Nate Parker's character comes out and punches him basically um and they kind of uh there's there's a great absolutely fantastic sequence where they basically like we've got to get away from all of this and they travel down to this kind of seaside resort in i think mexico just to get away from it all and she almost does a reverse star is born because she starts out as this very manufactured pop star and she's just like and she has this incredible purple hair for most of the film or at least the first half um and she's like actually, I want to get rid of all of this shit in my hair and I want to go back to my natural mm. hairstyle. It goes back to performing the song that she performed in the talent contest at the start of the film. This just kind of stripped back, you know, vocal performance that then gets filmed while she's performing it just in this kind of bar down there um, and helps almost like relaunch her career where people are like, oh shit, she, she can actually sing. <laughs> um, and... Um, yeah and it, like i say it's so there's 
there is some kind of interesting other stuff going on in it, but but for the most part, the film is entirely focused on their relationship. And obviously it has this very intense start, and but it also is quite, they're both taking this quite mature approach to it. There's a lot of consideration of like, where am I in my life? Is this the right relationship for me? And it's this very, it feels very honest and it feels just very genuine. And for all the fact that it's dealing with like celebrity culture and this kind of quite intense beginning to a relationship, it feels just like a very honest reckoning with what it's like to be kind of, kind of a mess uh, because Nate Parker's character is also kind of a mess and fucked up in his own ways. Um, but it's very much told from the female kind of perspective as well. But just being this kind of complex adult and finding yourself in this with this connection and kind of going like, oh, there's definitely some, there's this incredible spark here. Do I want to pursue this? Because I've got mm. to take account for the other stuff in my life. Um, and I think uh, Gina Prince-Bythewood is, is an incredible director. I think she's a fantastic storyteller um i find it fascinating that she's made this transition into like action films now mm. and she's made two fantastic action films like so good I, for her i'm still pissed off woman king didn't get anything at the yeah, Oscars. yeah. Like, what the um, fuck? and like you know get that money because i'm sure i'm sure woman king and uh the old guard made her more money than the yeah. beyond the lights did yeah um but i'd mm. also love to see her go back to this kind of film because she's so good at it um and yeah uh like I said, not a very widely seen film, but absolutely deserves to be. Matt, we're round to you for your final pick. Okay. Um, my final pick is one of the greatest <laughs> movies of all time. Stop it, Matthew. It's fucking true. Is it though? Yes. All, all three are. This is the thing. The three, there's a thing called Sight and Sound. Um, and since 1952, every decade, they've been producing a list of critics and directors saying, what are the greatest movies of all time? And obviously, as more films get released, more get added to the list. The three of these films I've picked have been on this. Well, obviously, Portrait of a Lady of Fire has been added fairly recently. But it's like, yeah, they are renowned as being some of the greatest movies ever made. And they all happen to be a linked theme. Doom. <laughs> Doctor, Doctor Doom. Doom. They're all set in Latveria. Latveria. Oh, yeah. I was no, going to no. go for starring Carla, but <laughs> it's set they, you know, on Mars. They all have demons. a first-person sequence in them. <gasps> Sex sequence. Oh um, no, um, that's called POV in the business. Yeah. It is. It, 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 it's it's doomed romance. Is is the is the theme because you go into it and you know this will not work. Everything about the film. There's an, there's an old adage which a film will tell you how to watch it within the first five minutes. So if you go in and think, right, I'm used to Transformers movies, I'm going to watch Sicario. It's like, eh, eh, <laughs> the, it's going to be a bit different. It's like, okay, well, I love Resident Evil, therefore I'm going to be fine with Fantastic Mr. Fox. And it's like, <laughs> no, again, you're going to need a different language, a different pacing, a different style of things. So within the first few minutes, it's going to tell you the kind of movie it is. And you're like, okay. And my pick is, uh, or my, my, my final pick, I should say, is the 2000 movie In the Mood for Love by Wong Kar Wai. Um, it is a Hong Kong movie uh, starring um, Maggie Chung and Tony Leung. And two very average looking people. Two, my God, so average. <laughs> no, no, um, just, just, 
and the thing is it's set in 1962 as well so the if they weren't already which they are stunning individuals they're on what can only be described as one of the most beautiful films ever constructed and i know this is a cliche to say it but every single shot in that movie is fucking gorgeous <laughs> the colors the cinematography the richness of the of the composition and the contrasting uh it is stunning so to look at definitely every frames a painting very much yeah. so very <laughs> much so um and uh the the production design of the 1960s uh is is wonderful and it starts out so simply and it's about routine it's about re- repetition the song the, there's like the, there's certain musical notes that sort of like uh or as a musical track sorry that keep repeating there's them going up and down on the staircase and never really talking and so these two characters of um mrs chan and mr chow they they live in the same building and they have partners that you never really see properly you usually see the back of them most of the time and they're always busy um and as the film goes on major plot point they realize their partners are cheating on them with each mm. other and it's like fuck and then they playfully start saying i wonder how it worked out i wonder how it started uh maybe it was like this and then you know they start basically be a bit flirtatious and then uh they they start working on you know she helps him with his work and things and they end up going to a hotel room to work again to work on stuff and the whole film is about do something act act now do something please we're running out of time here and the film starts saying you're missing your mark if you don't do something it, much like Brief Encounter, much like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, it's like, I know you probably won't work out this way because there's obviously your own, because it's again, it's the 60s in Hong Kong, they're already in relationships. Um, even if they're be, you know, being adulterous on the outside of it, they can't take that on themselves. Um, there's so many risks and problems and they keep near missing it. And it's like, oh, she's clearly moved and it, you know, it's that's not there anymore. It's like, no, no, she's in the building. Go up to the door. <laughs> um, and it's doomed. You know it's not going to work out. You know every second of the film tells you this is going to end up tragically, but you still con yourself. And that's what works with Brief Encounter, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and this. You think to yourself, I know I'm just seeing a snippet of this. I'm seeing a, 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 a microcosm of their life, but it's the most important moment in their life. Not the birth of their children or meeting their first partner, whatever it happens to be, it's this moment. Um, and there are things in each of the three films which are little coded pieces. In in this film, it's the lipstick on the cigarette butt in the ashtray that makes them go, oh shit. In in Portrait of a Lady on a Fire, it, it's, uh, sorry, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, it's the other painting where she has a book open and it reveals page 28. And you're like, oh, fuck. In Brief Encounter, it's her in the living room saying, thinking, does my husband know what I've been doing or not? There's so many things that makes these things complicated and real and human, but they're all doomed. And In the Move for Love is one of the prime examples of arguably one of the best bits of cinema. Because it... it, it How many it, times are you going to say that this episode, mm-hmm. Matthew? It, until people fucking learn! <laughs> <laughs> if someone comes up to me and says, I really enjoyed fucking... Transformers 5 for last I night. I swear, that's the problem. <laughs> so, everyone's, everyone has a favourite film, and everyone has things they like. And then I say, ah, there's always a difference between what's a good film and what's a film you enjoy. That's, that, that's fine. But when I tell you the film is good, and I'm emphatically telling you, even if you enjoy it or not... And you've seen all the films. I've seen most of them. 
Mm. That's not true. Mm. <laughs> I've seen a lot of them. Um, but either way, point a lot to- is definitely fair. <laughs> That's true. Um, this is true. We are surrounded by films <laughs> looming like fucking skyscrapers yeah. around us. Um, but yes, no. So, so the 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 tension, the performances, the the fact that it slows down to this half pace, slow motion at times. They just brush past each other in completely uh, mundane ways. It's about the longing. That is exactly it. That's exactly it. And the fact that, you know, we talked about that, that uh, chasing of like a finger touching, like just loosely. It's like, oh God, that's so electric. <laughs> yes. Oh, we also touched on it in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, right? Absolutely. That, that constant longing and just that, there's so much chemistry, it's about to explode, but they mm-hmm. can't touch each other. No. Yep. And yeah. it's the whole, like, we had a window it passed yeah. and that will never come again. Yeah. And you need to reconcile yourself with that. You each one of those films uh ends with um do I do I just kill myself? Cause I can't get over this. I might have to. I mean like, no, I'm just gonna have to be an adult and just be miserable, I guess. That's how it is. And I will have a life. I will have kids. I will move on. But in my heart, I can't move on. And so the way um this isn't too much of a spoiler, but in the move for love ends with uh, with Chow at this temple in um, Cambodia, I think, and he's whispering his secrets unheard to the audience into a wall because he heard about this thing and stuffing sort of mud in there. Like, nope, I'm pushing that down now. That's there. I'm trying to I'm trying to move on as best I can. It's like, yeah, but you ain't moving nowhere, mate. Mm. That is it now. You have you've fucked it, and you yeah. know you fucked it. And that's why, in a strange segue for a second. One of the strongest uh, referenced scenes in everything, everywhere, all at once, of like we were so close, we could have been a thing, yeah. and the way it's shot with those rich greens and the reds uh, is like, yeah, you're doing a one car. Why? We yeah. know what you're doing here, <laughs> and it's beautiful. Uh, and seeing Ki Hui Kwan in that light, saying, "Look, he could be a fucking romantic lead, just like this other guy. He is an amazing actor. What the fuck have you done, wasting this man's career?" Um, because they're trying to show you, like, again, we wanted to go for a quintessential romantic movie. Say, so, I found one. It's <laughs> this one. It's the one that opened the twentieth, the twenty-first century. Um, so yeah, it's it's beautiful romance. But all three of them are, and I don't know. I don't think I necessarily intentionally went down this road. I was like, <laughs> that's worrying, th- Matthew. It's like, it like here are the three most romantic movies I can think of. And I thought, oh god. Oh God! Do you need to have a conversation with the mm-hmm. wife after this podcast? Nah, she's still there. She's good. Okay, good. We had the window. And we we uh, okay. Segue here for a second. We mentioned earlier about the whole like you said about how you uh, over time and you 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 have the little bits that add up to this picture yeah, yeah. of a person and always that. That wasn't my experience. <laughs> I told my wife on date three. I said, I know this is too early to say, but I love you and I'm probably going to marry you one day. Just so you know, you don't have to say anything. I'm going to go home now. Bye bye. And she was left stood in the doorway for I think apparently according to her half an hour trying to figure out what the fuck like (laughs) is this guy a fucking idiot is he is he a a serial killer (laughs) also yes or is this incredibly romantic i can't tell but because both of us came to each other in the sort of like lifetime where we're like we've been in shitty relationships that had ended really badly we're like i kind of just needed that bit of honesty i feel the exact same way and i can't say it back but he doesn't expect me to say it back because he's mature enough at this point that he doesn't need that shit i've never wanted to marry anybody i kind of want to marry him it's like Yes. <laughs> but that that has and could have gone horrifically. Yeah. <laughs> just because it was worked in that moment. And as, I was being honest, doesn't mean it would work. As you said, uh, very near the beginning, in fact, mm. romance just creeps into that horror, horror film. Like, yeah. 
I've known you for 10 minutes and I want to marry you. He's like, oh, that's really sweet. Or like, yeah. fucking hell, that guy's a creep. Yeah. It worked out all right. So far. <laughs> She's not dead yet. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's true. She hasn't killed me. <laughs> That's that's the one I'm worrying about. <laughs> yeah, she's dangerous. As, um, as you said before we started recording, your wife is about the only person who can tolerate you for extended periods of time mm. without you driving each other nuts. It's true. Because I know I drive you nuts on this show, man. It's true. She, she also <laughs> makes me a, a better person, which is nice. So that's good. She grounds me. Jack. Hello. What's your segue from In the Mood for Love? More doomed romance. Yay! I'm going to finish with... I know I've talked about suicide and the, the deconstruction of manic pixie girls and stuff but maybe the most tragic of the three of my picks well i i think you also get to do a map because i think you get to pull out a one of the best films oh, of all time I'll, yeah. ta- I'll take that tim i'll take that i wasn't gonna do it i'm not billy big bollocks over there like matthew stockton but i'll take it i want to talk about eternal sunshine of the motherfucking spotless mind. Many people would agree with full Tim title. and Tully. It, it, that is genuinely such a bold, confident film that you could say one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. All the way back in 2004, of course, starring Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet as a weird combination. You just That's would... not a mm. pairing, is it? No, that, it makes no <laughs> sense, but it simultaneously makes all the sense in the world. Uh, Joel and Clementine and their two characters. And if, for whatever reason, I'm sure some listeners haven't seen it, I will try not to spoil too much. I'm going to spoil a little bit just the premise of the movie, basically. But it's sci-fi. It's me. Hello. (laughs) I'm the problem. It's me, to quote Taylor Swift. And uh, (laughs) it's a really interesting concept. It feels like something that would be like an episode of Black Mirror or something. that, like. I think there is an episode of Black Mirror that's pretty similar. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Charlie Brooker. I'm sure you're listening. And... Thinking about how we have perceptions of our relationships and the whole you got to take the good with the bad and all that kind of stuff coming back around to the two previous films, that's kind of my theme. Understanding that you have to work at this shit. Understand that there's going to be good days, there's going to be bad days, there's going to be days in between where nothing much happens and you just kind of sit next to each other and exist. That's a normal relationship. That's how... friendships work that's how families work that's how romantic relationships work and the fact that we go into eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and joel learns that through this technology this brain wiping technology that clementine has wiped the memories of their relationship together completely from her mind she has now has to, to quote the title that is a I believe it's a quote from a poem a spotless mind and the fact that a spotless mind is not a good thing is a theme that is explored pretty consistently throughout the film and as almost as like a revenge Joel does the same thing and it's like well if she's gonna erase our time together then fuck you I'll do the same thing in that process he has to essentially relive the relationship he has to reverse the time but experience it and see all of the good days, all of the bad days. Mm. And of course, it's a pretty volatile relationship. They very much dive into that throughout the film. But winding all the way back to the moment they first met, which again becomes this kind of thematic thing that keeps pulling at threads, that kind of weird destiny kind of thing that you just can't escape sometimes. There's this 
incredible moment where he realizes like, oh, maybe it wasn't all so bad after all. I've been so shut off and misunderstanding and just in this negative space. And actually, we did have something good. Maybe this isn't the right thing to do. And he tries to stop the procedure. And it doesn't go well. <laughs> from inside the procedure. From, in, from yes. inside the procedure, yeah. Is this is this weird thing. And almost in like a, a, this is a weird reference to make, but almost like a cabin in the woods kind of way, there's like the office workers and employees outside of this whole dynamic relationship thing. And you think like, oh, that's a weird thing to highlight. And then they integrate and intertwine into the relationship. And Elijah Wood's a fucking creep. And <laughs> yeah, fucking hell. <laughs> Starts. And there's Mark Ruffalo dancing in his underwear. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there was a review I was reading earlier that was, it's the only film brave enough to put uh, Frodo and the Hulk in the same room together. <laughs> <laughs> and goddamn right it there's is. There's a kind of duality with Inception as well. Mm, very about much so. Creating yeah. a reality and then breaking it from the inside. Yeah, definitely. And w- weirdly enough, the the quote, the, the whole train thing. The, um, oh, yeah. Going that, to a destination thing. Yeah, going to a destination thing. That was definitely something I was... One of the quotes I was thinking about putting in, in this and that weird oh. kind of like tragic doom love coming away. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Eternal Sunshine just does this amazing way of telling this story again, non-linearly. Hello, another theme of mine. In this weird, unexpected way. And I think so many people see this film you're both right some people consider it like their favorite film and one of the best films and all that kind of stuff and what michel gondry does with the direction the visuals the like dream sequences and again bending that reality expectation kind of thing again hello another theme of mine the fact that the dream sequences become reality and then you're like transported into that as the viewer but Joel is also experiencing that as the viewer as he's transporting through through this technology. And it's just like it's such a mind fuck in the best way possible. And I think it gives such a unique perspective on how love develops over time. Like I was saying earlier, a lot of this time you see the ups and the downs and you maybe focus on one thing from tom in 500 days of summer he focuses on all the positives and like she's the perfect girl for me this is going to be great we're going to get married we're going to have kids blah 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 blah. funnily enough something joseph gordon levitt explores again in don john in a weird kind of parallel (laughs) way um i don't really thought but i was like looking around doing my research i was like oh yeah they are kind of like weird sister films to each other that's strange um and then coming through to a star is born they have their ups and their downs and again you have Jackson focusing on the negatives. Oh God, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm holding her back, all this kind of stuff. And Joel and Clementine in Eternal Sunshine have the same kind of thing. You're focusing on the negatives. We've had such a terrible relationship. Good. Fuck it. I'm done. I don't want to deal with this shit anymore. But then you actually look back and see that actually there were good days. There were really good days. There were some of my favorite times ever. And whether that means maybe we should give it another go or that means they were some of my favorite and I hope to make some more with somebody new in the future. That's an interesting interpretation, right? That There are a few different ways you can go. And I, I love the way that, again, try not to spoil it too much, but the, the way the film ends with, again, this kind of final destination, pre-destiny type thing where are we coming back around and trying this again 
Is this destined to be doomed forever? Is this eventually going to work out? Do the previous relationships affect what's going to happen in the future? Does not knowing make it worse? Does knowing make it worse? Knowing that there is good and bad ahead, and there is always going to be good and bad ahead for any relationship, is that a positive thing? Should you go in with an expectation to make this like the best relationship ever and be the best possible partner or try and be realistic and be a bit more cynical and come in and be like, okay, yeah, there's going to be bad times, but we'll do our best. We'll work together to make the best of the time that we have together and all this kind of stuff. And it was the moment for me, and I think this is true for a lot of people, where I went, Jim Carrey can act, fucking hell. It was the term he's doing comedy to, yeah, yeah. serious roles. He went from old rubber face Ace Ventura, the mask guy, mm. fucking dumb and dumber and all that shit in the it's, 90s. That Truman Show and this, I was like, hang on a minute. Yes, exactly. It, it was a mad kind of moment where you realise when Jim Carrey can take himself seriously. I don't know, he found this film very difficult, like working with Gondry. Gondry was very restrictive on what he could do he wanted to like improvise stuff and he was the from what i understand he was the only cast member who was not allowed to improvise at all mm. he had to stick exactly word by word to the script which carrie fucking hated being a comedian for you know 30 years prior basically he was just going insane um and everyone else is like having not, not a great time i'm sure it's a very stressful situation still but having a more free kind of time and the fact that Gondry was kind of putting Carrie in Joel's shoes and making him more restricted, more restrained, kind of high strung in that way that Joel is compared to Clementine's again deconstruction of the manic pixie girl thing in, in a not a similar way to summer, but in a in a kind of similar way to summer in Five Hundred Days of Summer. Mm. And I think a lot of people see that as almost like a pre manic pixie dream girl deconstruction before that term was even popularized mm. in the coming years that like the the mid 2000s to the 2010s is where that really became a thing again coming through to 500 days of summer but this is 2004 and it feels like they're already exploring a very mature relationship a very mature way of looking at all of this dynamics and these cliches and all this kind of stuff and the cinematography the performances the, the, the subtle CGI. The subtle CGI, yeah. All hiding under a table and being a tiny version of yourself. Mm. Like, Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just an absolute master. And a, a lot of practical, really interesting oh, yes. practical effects in yeah. that film as well. And it, it, it was such a weird one. People didn't know what to do with it. Uh, it was ahead of its time, as you say. I think that was part of the, part of yeah, the issue. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Just to, to comment on the where it sits in the, in the evolution of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl... <laughs> It came out the same year as Garden State, which was seen as basically the the film that kind of yes, codified the, that idea. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's fascinating. Yeah, but it's already, as you said, Matt, like ahead of its time and deconstructing a thing that hasn't really been solidified yet. And if that isn't the most eternal sunshine thing, <laughs> like the fact that it is already pulling at strings and pulling apart a thing that doesn't even exist yet. Fucking sums up Joel and Clementine's relationship. Yeah. It was interesting because there's quite a few films around that time in different genres which were coming with the same existential question, which Gondry did one of the better versions of, which was if you know the outcome, do you still want to go through with it? When that's like yeah. with like life, relationship, whatever it is, it's like Donnie Darko. Yeah, it's like yeah. if I know how this ends, do do I want to suffer through it or mm. not? And it's like, well, that's up the conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's had 
a subtle influence on so many stories afterwards like i said let alone it being ahead of its time and all that kind of stuff but even something as obvious as like scott pilgrim versus the world which is mm. again using the whole faux nice guy and yeah. uh manic pixie dream girl thing ends wrong ends wrong exactly and they have that moment of like oh maybe we should give it a go and like is that the best thing for these two people maybe not mm. And a lot of people are like, um, I don't think Joel and Clementine should... It's a pretty volatile relationship. Like, it's pretty explosive at times. Maybe they're not the best for each other. And people say the same thing about so many other relationships after that. And I think it was a real kind of, like, moment in time that really, I think, holds up incredibly well. Almost mm. 20 years later. Fuck, I just realised. Oh, oh, yeah. God. <laughs> I remember the butterfly effect came out and somebody with Ashton Kutcher. And it's like the whole, like, people will find each other. And like, yeah, should they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that um, meet me and man talk thing. Like mm, that, there it is. Yeah, yeah. That little moment, that little line. Where you're like, yeah, you do have those moments. And again, I'm sure you both know. Going through breakups and stuff, you see things that remind you of ex partners and all this shit. And you're like, I never want to see that film again. I never want to see that <laughs> bench again. <laughs> I never want to walk past that fucking restaurant again. Oh, the Five Hundred Days of Summer's uh, bit of like. I love this song. I always think of her. And then later in the film, I fucking I hate, hate this, this song. song. Yeah. <laughs> He's screaming it on a bus. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, end with started with tragedy, ended with tragedy. Misery all around. Welcome to Yay. Love Everybody. Mm-hmm. Tim, take us home. Well, I saw Matt's list of films as I was preparing for this, and I was like, oh, this is some really, really good films. Some really good, really, really good, you know amazing if films. i didn't jump in there i knew tim would want to like brief a counter or something like that. <laughs> and i was like yeah and i was like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna have to 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 bring my a game and i was like okay so matt's got matt's got some of the best films of all time and apparently so and like jack's you know got eternal sunshine which is like just i know many people hold that up as their fa- one of their favorite films and like some other really good choices i'm gonna have to pick the best relationship in films <clears throat> i can't challenge it yeah <laughs> yeah uh, he is right because yeah. i'm cheating slightly you are uh You're i'm doing got, a map i'm doing yeah, a map doing a map uh i'm doing a trilogy for my final pick <laughs> you motherfucker but you have to if this it wasn't so to. good i wouldn't let you get away with it yeah but damn it tim you're just too goddamn sexy <laughs> tim i mean <laughs> <laughs> uh because my final pick is the before trilogy by richard linklater yeah. uh with uh ethan hawk and julie delpy um for people who don't know, this started with Before Sunrise in 1994. And then nine years later, they made Before Sunset. And then nine years after that, they made Before Midnight. Mm-hmm. And it is essentially, it starts out being the story of uh, Ethan Hawke's character, who's a young American who's traveling around Europe. Uh, and Julie Delpy's character, who is uh, a young French woman who's also traveling around Europe. They uh, meet when they're traveling on a train that's uh, about to stop in Vienna. If you're thinking of, oh, Ethan Hawke from Moon Knight, it's like, he's young at this point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's young, very handsome Ethan Hawke. Yeah, yep, yeah. yep. Um, and uh, they have this instant connection. And Ethan Hawke is like, hey, you should get off the train in Vienna for me and we should just like explore the city. Um, and if you don't, you'll regret it, basically. Mm-hmm. And so they decide to, and they have this day where they just wander around, basically killing time until 
Ethan Hawke's plane, I believe it is, that uh, he's he's arranged to take a flight the next day, hence the before sunrise. Um, and it is them just having these long conversations. It's shot very kind of naturalistically. It's Linklater quite early in his career. And he's, he's a, a director who is very interested in like long conversations just kind of playing out naturally and very naturalistic dialogue and but also people discussing kind of philosophy and the meaning of life and stuff he'd come off of doing films like slacker and um even dazed and confused to a certain extent is about people just kind of chatting and existing yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, just living, man. L i v i n. <laughs> um, uh, and um, and so and and you know they are these kind of young, slightly pretentious people who do want to discuss, you know, philosophy and the the, the nature of life and all this kind of thing. And twenty year olds, twenty year olds, and it very quickly <laughs> becomes this romance. But then at the end of the film, spoilers for a thirty year old film. You can't have to spoil it to talk about the second and third yeah, one. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, they basically decide we're not going to give each other our contact details. We've got to we've got to go our different ways. We'll meet back here in six months again. Pre mobile phones, yes. <laughs> um, pre, not quite pre email, but you know it was email, harder. To very get in touch. few people had email at this point. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, we're not. Yeah, we're not gonna. We're not gonna stay in contact. We're just gonna. We're gonna trust that we're gonna meet up in in six months time. Mm-hmm. Then we jump forward nine years. They did not meet up in six months' time, for good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But Ethan Hawke's character has become a novelist, and his latest novel is basically based around this night that he spent with Celine. And he uh, and he's on a book tour, and uh, I believe he's in Paris in the second one, um, or they are in Paris, and they happen to meet up again. She comes to a book reading where he is like discussing the book. And they spend another day together and it is essentially them kind of discussing where their lives have gone and like he's married and he's got a son and she's dealing with other stuff. She's kind of um, sort of uh, working out what she wants to do with her life. And it's them kind of talking through like what could have been in their relationship. Like, did they make a mistake by not meeting up? All this kind of stuff. Again, it's just this very kind of like them hanging out, seeing the sites, discussing all these various topics, it gets into politics and all this kind of other stuff. 30-year-olds. 30-year-olds. <laughs> You're not wrong. And uh, he's got this flight that he's meant to be catching, and but that he keeps kind of like putting it off and saying, like, it's fine, it's fine, I'm going to catch, I, I, I'll make the plane. And it ends with the great line of um, uh, Celine just saying, like, baby... You're going to miss that plane. And he's going, I know. Um, And then we jump forward another nine years. Mm. And now they're married and they've got kids, but they're dealing with the more adult side of the relationship where he's worried that he's his son from his previous marriage, who was established in the second film. He's kind of losing, there's distance in that relationship. And the son is moving back to Chicago to be with his mother uh, but Celine is also she's got a career opportunity that she wants to take that's going to keep have her in Paris, and so they're kind of facing this turning point in their marriage of basically like what do they want to do, 
and it's dealing with this much more established relationship now. They're not just these magical single days where they're meeting up, but it's still a pivotal day in their relationship where they do almost come to this point of kind of like, can we, can we keep this thing working? Like now it is, now we are actually having to work at a relationship and, and do the, the hard work of sustaining it when it's not just this idealized romantic relationship that, you know, in the first film they have it and it's this magical moment and it's so perfect and then in the second film, there's, there's like Julie Delby has this amazing kind of monologue where they're in a cab and she's saying how like none of her other romantic relationships have really measured up because she's got this perfect idea of this day they spent together. Mm. And then she like all of her boyfriends have then gone off and said like, oh, you've taught me how to love, but. I don't want to marry you and now so we're going to break up and <laughs> yeah. then they go on to find the love of their life and it's like so frustrating for her and all this kind of stuff and then we find them in this relationship and they're like no it is hard work and you know and ultimately again spoilers for a film um they decide to basically no we're going to put in the hard work we the our relationship is worth it we you know 40s 40s <laughs> and like Linklater, another thing that he loves to explore is time in so many of his in so many different ways. Obviously, he made Boyhood, which is like yeah. this incredible the uh, pinnacle of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the idea that you get to see this relationship—they've said they are not going to do a fourth one. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea that you get this different snapshots of this relationship across effectively eighteen years, yeah, is so amazing, and it's there. It's so because. Hawk and Delpy have had like a huge impact in like how the characters there's kind of a controversy over like Julie Delpy's like we basically rewrote the script um, and everyone accepts like oh no they did have a huge impact on how they you know they have writing credits in the second and third Mm. film and all this kind of stuff there's debate over like did they do a big rewrite of the script did they just have an influence on like some of it etc etc but they these characters are such part of them Um, and they just feel so real, you know? Yeah. At every moment of the relationship, like you say, it's such a perfect snapshot of like, here are people in their 20s having this kind of like perfect romantic moment. Mm. Here are people in their 30s dealing with like the fallout and how complicated their lives have become. And then here are people in their 40s dealing with just like the everyday, like just the things that you have to do to keep a relationship going. Because when romance dissipates, yes. reality sets in. Exactly. And you have to find but, the romance but, and revolve But it. you can find that romance Absolutely. again if you put the effort in. Um, and it's just uh, three films that are just so flawless. Mm. Um, and the fact that you get to see that relationship play out, like not many films like this get a trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah but I'm absolutely. so glad that we have it because... It's so good. And they know not to do a fourth unless... Because they said, oh, it's 2020, around the time we do another mm, one. Yeah. It's like, no, we can't make the story work. We're not going to. Yep. I think that's what makes Linklater and his collaborators so special to me in cinema. It's some of the most believable characters I've ever seen on screen. Mm. Yeah. Like, a parallel to this of, like, a story told throughout the decades is obviously Boyhood. Mm-hmm. I think that is, film is fucking brilliant as well. And the way... Just the dialogue is so incredibly real and not in like a mumblecore kind of way, mm. but in a 
conversations that you have, people do talk over each other. And uh, there was a brilliant analysis I was looking at on um, YouTube earlier today where, like, in typical arguments in, in cinema, you get, like, oh, the couple argues and it gets more and more intense and more and more intense mm. and builds to a crescendo. Mm. It's like, how many arguments have you ever had in your entire life that mm. start off as, like, oh, yeah? yeah? Well, fuck you. Well, fuck you. And it just gets louder and louder and mm. louder and louder and mm. then just kind of stops. It's like, no, you, one person will require maybe be a bit quieter and they'll mm. reply and then they come back and then oh somebody says like oh i didn't realize you were getting pissed mm. off now and there's that dynamic shift and change and stuff like that and mm. delpy and hawk's performance is so fucking good that mm. you're yeah. right tim that like the most believable relationship in cinema because i think again you're talking about the creative process like the fact that they were able to do the whole like oh i don't think my character would have done that from what I understand, they had basically like veto rights on stuff. Mm, yeah. So they would be able to say like, eh, yeah, no, we'll, we'll work with Rick as Ethan Hawke calls <laughs> him. We'll work with Rick and, and plan the like vague kind of stuff. Linklater wrote the rough kind of plot mm. and all that kind of thing. But they would come in and say, like, actually, no, we want to do this or we want to do that. And there would be changes and shifts there. And I think that collaborative process mm. really made those characters come alive. Mm. And the fact that the actors are nine years older and actually aging literally with the characters. Mm. Again, much like boyhood. It's going through that process thing where it's like, I have an idea of what a 30 year old, like exactly. Like, yeah. No, we're going to wait until we get there and then write. It. Cause mm. you could totally do that. You could totally do like special effects and makeup and mm. stuff. And like, Oh, we've dyed Ethan Hawke's hair gray mm. and whatever. But like, yeah, but 42 year old Ethan Hawke is different from 23 year old mm. Ethan Hawke. Fundamentally, he has had kids. He's gone through this process. He's, had a marriage whatever it is like mm. they grow with their character so literally and so directly that it has this just believability and realism to it that i don't think i've seen for me Linklater is the absolute best at that kind of thing mm. where you have mm. these characters who just exist in this world and you think like they are totally boo i i know ethan hawk i know that's ethan hawk but i can't switch it <laughs> off and it's so believable and the the dialogue is so mm like simultaneously meticulous and perfect and also just kind of like yeah that seems like probably normal conversation like it, it's so brilliant and I, and I love this trilogy so much you're totally right it, it feels like a thing that shouldn't be made into a trilogy like how unlikely is it that mm. this kind of yeah i mean nothing really happens kind of like little romance mm. film gets two sequels a decade apart each and the maturity to know when to stop that's mm. the key right absolutely absolutely yeah awesome picked him and a fantastic way to round us off i think i agree well folks if you want to learn about some more romantic stuff go and check out the discord because it's the best place there'll be a big post-show discussion i'm mm. sure lots of people saying how come you didn't mention this and this is my mm. favorite what about this one all that kind of stuff basically we have a big post-show discussion when it goes out for patrons on the friday and when it comes out for the public on the tuesday as well you can go to sequelizers.com, click the little Discord button, and you get an invite. It's all free, all easy, and there's like 200 plus people who are very friendly and very welcoming and basically want to chat about anything and everything. In fact, we mm. now have a dating channel, speaking of romance, <laughs> at do. the request of M from Verbal Diorama and a few other people. To clarify, where people talk about their dating experiences, not to date each other, I don't think. Yeah. Ah, there was chat of that. That was like the first conversation. <laughs> well, like, fuck me. What is this channel for? Mm, yeah, mm, yeah. Let's find out. Exactly, yeah. We have life advice, we have parenting, we have films, we have comics, we have wrestling, YouTube, streaming, all kinds of different stuff. 
one of the best places, one of my favorite parts of the kind of community we've crafted and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, go and check that out. Sequelizer.com is the place for everything. Our YouTube channel, our social media, all that kind of stuff. Sequelizer.com is the place to go. You can follow me on social media. I am JLW Chambers on basically everything. Matt, how can people follow you on the internet? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z on all the social media things. You can go to cheesemint.com to see the things that I make and the redrighthand.co.uk to see the films that I review. Tim, if people want to profess their love for you, oh. how can they do that? Uh, the best place to follow me online is either Twitter, trivia underscore lad, uh, or check out my letterbox profile, also trivia underscore lad, um, and uh, love the film reviews that I put up there. Ooh, awesome. Well, we'll be back next week with more interseason goodness. And a completely different topic. As always at the end of the season, you never know what you're going to get. some romantic elements to them. Sure. Maybe. Yeah, a little bit. I actually don't remember what it is. It's something very different. And I believe it's a Patreon pick. Oh. Oh, yeah. So stay tuned for that, folks. And we'll be back next week with more inter-season goodness.